everyone and welcome to the hellboy book club my name is john salinas and i'm here with are we loveless and i'm danielle and i'm matt Trackbine. all right matt welcome you're back. back thanks for coming back again this week matt yeah sure uh, i missed you guys last week uh, uh, just to address a few things yes i have seen gi joe in all of its forms <laughs> nice <laughs> yes i've seen all the miyasaki movies some in the theater, even. Oh, well. No, I have not read the Hellboy novels, which I'm sure everyone is commenting on since you mentioned Thor's hammer. <laughs> and no, I don't see any mistakes in that sweet wizard and the snake tattoo. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Those are all things we're going to talk about. Great. Yeah. I <laughs> so, started... you, so you're all caught up. I'm caught up. <laughs> Man, I started that tattoo pick for like hours like i kept looking about it through the day and i'm like i don't see a mistake well and we can just go and talk about that so there's a in the picture of the statue there's a little leaf flying by and the leaf is like colored brown but it was incorporated on the tattoo like it looks like it's part of the statue and it's pretty much like unnoticeable when you look at them side by side but i guess mark tweedell put that on twitter he asked if that was the mistake and the guy that has the tattoo carlos martinez said that's what he was referring to Okay. So it's just, but it but if you look at the tattoo it just looks like it's part of the statue. Yeah, I mean I think if there if like the you have a giant tattoo that's all one color and then a tiny part of it is a different color, everyone's going to focus on that leaf. Right. Yeah. Instead yeah. of like the meat of the Yeah. the focus of the tattoo which should be the fact that it's a wizard and a snake and a shield. Yeah, oh, it's so good. Yeah, it's really good. It was great. Yeah, so that leads me into, you know, you can check us out on our social media, you can look at the tattoo. I have all my uh, posts that I do throughout the week, and that's how people participate in the show. You want to tell some people what the show is about, Danielle? <laughs> <laughs> we all get together and we read at comic books. It's a Hellboy comics and adjacent comics and properties. <laughs> and then we talk about it, and then you guys talk about it because you say, hey, damn guys. And then we tell you what to read next time, and then you next time you read it, and then... That's reading Hellboy comics and talking to your friends. Back to you, John. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much. And always go check out our pals at Mignolaverse.com. Mike Mignola's Art on Facebook. Those are all great communities to be part of. We have a lot to talk about this week, so we're going to go ahead and go into our listener feedback. Hey, you damn guys. Drinking with skeletons. Kill the black We got a message from Nathaniel Green. He said, as per the conversation of artists being able to distance themselves from their work, I recall a quote from the great director David Fincher. Films aren't completed, they're abandoned. I now find through my due diligence before posting that the quote is a kind of adaptation of, in the eyes of those lovers of perfection, a work is never finished. A word that for them has no sense, but abandoned and the abandonment whether to the flames or to the public, is a kind of accident to them, like the breaking off of a reflection, which fatigue, irritation, or something similar has made worthless. Yeah, so he posted that quote that's from Paul Valéry, a French author and symbolist poet, and that's kind of, we were t- we talked yeah. a little bit about yeah. that. Great artists, a lot of times, don't feel that their work is up to par, you know. We had some feedback on the amazing screw-on head and other curious objects from last week when I posted the teaser, Todd Biala said, really love this book. Excited to hear you all discuss it. Robert Lindbergh said, my all-time favorite of the Mignola comics. 
Mignola was kind enough to sign it when I saw him in Copenhagen, and I have a beautiful print of the artwork right here on the wall beside me. Benny Decker said, I love Screw on Head. I am sad to read in the notes that Mignola didn't have further plans for the character. It was so much fun. Thanks for covering it. It wasn't on my radar until I heard you guys were going to read it for the podcast. Hey. I thought that was really exciting. Oh, I was like, cool. yes, that's kind of one of the big goals is to kind of pull people into all the other titles as well. So yeah, mission accomplished there. Nathaniel Green said, I could almost hear myself requesting a live watch along while we record ourselves watching the DVD with you. But that would be looking a gift horse in the mouth. I'm so glad I didn't ask for that. Yeah, but that would be great to do some sort of like commentary. Sure. You know, and yeah. then the listeners can listen to it and then they can do a commentary and then we oh. can talk. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Endless, like, but, uh, awesomeness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I have thought about doing commentaries or doing something like that. Maybe that's something we'll work into the show sure. down the line. We did talk about like even before the whole show started. Yeah. So maybe. And my talking through a movies game is strong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind doing that. We watched Terminator 2 over oh, yeah. three days. I got to stop it and rewind it <laughs> and be like, look at this part. <laughs> uh, drew campbell said man y'all need to watch the miyazaki films they're basically all masterpieces and then he said toy makers of the world where the hell is my screw on head action figure yeah yeah especially with these like uh with the a thousand toys one that they just did they could easily do like a really cool screw on head one cool jen niklas said yay finally hellboy in hell next week this week actually as for screw on head i think a lot of the humor also derives from the lack of character like hellboy you know, that one smartass that comments on how pulpy everyone acts. Well, good luck, buddy. Everybody here is a character in a comic and doesn't question it. May they be a three-legged dog or a criminal lunatic. We laugh because they don't. This is their own weird world and they take the job seriously. So it really is G.I. Joe or He-Man, which I later watched and boy, was it trashy. <laughs> yeah, I know that feeling. I went back to try to watch He-Man when I was uh, an adult. And right. Like, why you, did I like this? Nothing there. <laughs> you don't realize how many times they reuse yeah. the same pieces of animation over and over. There's nothing there. It's like a. It's like a. It really was a toy commercial. What's that? What's that candy that dissolves as soon as you put it anywhere near your mouth? Cotton candy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He says, "I think that Mike once tried to do more with the character, but nothing came of it, which is okay. We got a Mignola comic without the intentional humor." And it was the funnest thing ever. Magician and the Snake was indeed sad, but it's even sadder that Katie Mignola didn't publish anything until now. Or I haven't found anything. If you can believe the story and the one with the Hydra, she had an active imagination. And maybe we could have expected more great stuff from her. Yeah, I didn't think about that. So she helped with the Hydra and the Lion. Remember that one? Yeah. And then uh, Magician and the Snake, which are two really great stories. I thought that was interesting feedback. He also yeah. said, Prisoner of Mars is something I would like to see Mike publish more. This is a real anti-comic. Of course it's absurd. It could also be that Snap and his friends just make up these stories to impress each other. Like they are the sons of Munchausen. So he could pull it all out of his ass. Or does he? Reality and fiction combine into one. And in this one, if any of these characters need to come back, it's Dr. Snap and his mustache. 
Also, because the story is really pretty, they all are in this book. The Amazing Screw on Head is one of two books. I take in my hand to look at the art. The other is Hellboy in Hell. Hear you next week. Yeah, so I thought that was great feedback. Thank you so much. I never thought about the Mars one, where it, it being like just a bunch of guys telling stories to each yeah. other. I, was just, I just took it at face value. Like, yeah, of course he killed his friend and then got hung and then went to, as a ghost to Mars. and. Then became a robot and then got reborn and now he's sitting back with his other buddies telling the tale. <laughs> Perfectly logical. Yeah. <laughs> Jason Abaddon said, recording Screw on Head's animated adaptation, I personally love it, but love it or not, it clearly shows that Mignola's art can be adapted to animation. And he also mentions he did not like the animation on the Hellboy animated. I, I, I did like that one. I thought it was really good. He said, you guys were talking about could Hellboy lift Thor's hammer, and I really hope the book club eventually goes into the Hellboy novels by Christopher Golden and Mignola, in which we learn what would happen if Hellboy lifted Thor's hammer and couldn't put it down. The book has amazing illustrations by Mignola and brings all the Norse mythology into the HB-verse. That sounds fun. Yeah. I love the magician and the snake. If I ever get to meet Mike again and I can request a sketch, it'll be the snake kissing the magician on the cheek. Aww. Yeah, Aww. I thought that was great. He said, also, I want a lamp in the shape of that robot body from Mars. Yeah, that would be oh, awesome. Oh, that would be cool. <laughs> that would be neat. Or the magician booping him on the snout. Yeah. <laughs> and Lobster20000 said, I absolutely love how Mignola draws puppets. Yeah, that's another thing that we should get is like some Mignola puppets. There's so many puppets. Yeah, there really are. It would be fun to have a little wooden marionette. Actually, my uh, my grandfather used to carve uh, marionettes. Okay. Uh, there were uh, ducks, though. Oh, oh wow. Marionette okay. ducks, yeah. Were they like humanoid with duck heads? No, no, no. It was like ducks. Super cute. And he could make them do like... Oh, wow. He could make duck sounds. He would make them look like they're like eating and walking and anyway... That's pretty sweet. Wow. Yeah, that is. Super fun. Carlos Martinez, that's the guy that had the tattoo. He said, I absolutely agree with Danielle's comment about the rooftop panels. So sad and hopeful. A life is what you make it moment. Yeah. Regarding in the chapel of curious objects, Jerry Turnbull said, I always imagined this was Mignola's hand. That's Aww. opening the little thing to oh, reveal the cool. shapes. Yeah. Ross Radke said, the first signing I ever attended was Mignola at Portland. And I brought my screw-on-head hardcover. It happened to be my birthday, mm -hmm. and he drew a snake under the signature on the inside cover. So Cute. I was showing Danielle a nice. picture of this. When uh, the hardcover on the inside cover, it's all those rooftops. And in Ross's book, Mignola drew the snake around the top of the little thing, like mm -hmm. the way he is in the comic. Yeah, that's pretty sick. Yeah, so you can check that out on our Twitter. He said, I have great fondness for the screw-on-head collection. So indulge me with sharing some of my favorite moments as I reread it. And he posted a bunch of pictures. The pacing throughout the book almost reminds me of a Looney Tunes cartoon, frantic with little pauses here and there to take in the view. Also, I love the hand-drawn sound effects throughout. The dialogue throughout is great. Screw on head, accidentally getting hooked by the anchor, and Groyd exclaiming, Bold plan of action. It's the insane cartoon action, but everyone is speaking all proper. And Mark Tweedell chimed in. He said it reminded him of Monty Python. Oh, sure. Right? That's kind of what you okay. were saying. Yeah. I'd forgotten how awesome the Martian story was. Apparently, Dr. Snap survived transforming into a demon and being blown up. Yeah, so I didn't think about that. Because remember Dr. Snap in the Screw-On-Head story, when they discovered the turnip, he turned into that big monster? 
Oh, yeah. And then Scrooge had fired the missile into his mouth and blew him up. And then on Prisoner of Mars, he's examining the turnip. Oh, snap. Right. So, Dr. Uh, snap. Dr. Snap. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I guess he survived somehow. He also said, I've always been curious about the original Abu Gung. I've never seen any of the pages from it until this post. So, I posted some. And it was colored very different, too. The devil was like a purple color instead of the red mm-hmm. color that he is. And Ross also commented about the birds represented as souls, which I posted about. I always took these to be seagulls, but looking at them here, I realized the beak shape is actually more like doves or something. And y- y'all talked about that a little bit, right? Right. Well, um, the the wing shape is that of like a gull or a seabird, but the face is, yeah, very like kind of dove shaped. So it seems to be some sort of... Uh... Either an amalgam bird or a bird that we're just not thinking of. Right. I don't know. He also mentioned Jonathan Livingston's seagull. It's about a seagull that gets bored of eating trash and decides to fly higher and higher into the heavens until it eventually transcends the physical plane of existence. Always wondered if it was Mignola's inspiration for depicting souls as seagulls specifically. I'm still hoping to get some more Mignola-drawn comics that exist in this completely fantastical world. Hellboy and Hell has its moments, but ended up being a bit more grounded in its established lore, relatively speaking. A while later, he posted, I just finished the episode while driving home from work, was literally laughing out loud as you narrated Screw on Head. This book is <laughs> such a delight. As a lifelong fan of Raoul Dahl and the original Oz books and fairy tales in general, these stories just tickle the same goofy nerve. Yeah, they're fun. About Jonathan Livingston Siegel. Uh, Neil Diamond did a soundtrack album for that. My mom used to play it a lot when I was a kid. Jeez. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Mom was a big Neil Diamond fan. Oh, I love Neil Diamond. Yeah. That uh, particular soundtrack's a little abstract for me as far as his stuff goes, but well, and the movie wasn't that great either. <laughs> See, I, I didn't know it was a movie until years later because like, I was like three, four years old when my mom was playing it. <laughs> right. My mother, uh, my aunt, and my grandmother all get together every time Neil Diamond comes to town and they all get together and go see him they always say come with us and i say no no you enjoy yourselves (laughs) (laughs) i would just be in the way that's that's perfectly fine (laughs) what's uh they have a good old time what's a good neil diamond song to cut in right here i have no idea okay wait i was thinking hot august nights which is uh in the new tarantino trailer you said hot august nights yeah that's what i was just gonna say yeah the whole album okay yeah, that's a double disc live album. It's just amazing. He wore a denim like uh, that, that, outfit. The, that that's cover so, is amazing. Like a la Britney Spears, Justin Timberlake via like the nineties. <laughs> that kind of denim outfit. Uh, yeah, that, so. the cover art for that. It looks like he should be holding a bong, right? Jeez. <laughs> so when I was in high school, I drew one and cut it out and pasted it in there. Yes, like he's doing a big three foot bong hit. You gotta color his eyes red. Oh man! And (laughs) wait, I'm looking at that cover. Sorry, Aubrey just showed me that cover. It took me a second to pull it up. I could actually see where the the bong is. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Oh shit! Damn it, Aubrey! All right, sorry. Let's get back on track here. Hold on. (laughs) You see it? Yeah. Oh yeah. Too funny. <laughs> oh, man. 
Mark Tweedo also gave us some good feedback. He said, I remember reading this the first time and crying with laughter. And it's the part where he goes, for the sake of national security. And it has that eagle behind him. <sighs> he said, you all seriously need to read Hellboy, the Bones of Giants prose novel. It's in continuity and it will answer a bunch of your Thor questions. I gotta say, I love hearing the outpouring of love for the magician and the snake. With the cartoon, you have to remember it was a pilot made on a very limited budget. Had it been picked up, it would have likely been revised and refined, cleaning up the sound with a better foley. Considering the showrunner was Brian Fuller, the guy behind Pushing Daisies and Hannibal, I imagine it could have evolved into something really special. My biggest difficulty with the pilot is the music. It's silly, and I think it would have been so much funnier if it had been played completely straight. But I always think whenever something silly underscores itself as I'm silly, it inevitably becomes less silly. As for the animation style, I feel like anything traditionally animated is going to feel either too far from Mignola's art or too close without nailing it. I'd rather see an animated Leica style in stop-motion animation. Mm. And so that's like Kubo and the Two Strings or Coraline, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It would be a fun adventure. He says, I also think, I don't yeah. know if you ever saw the Men in Black, I don't know if I'm dating myself, the Men in Black cartoon. Okay. Yeah. That, I think that would We were recently watching something that had that in it. That would yeah. have always, I, I feel like that would lend itself okay. well to yeah. that kind of universe. But anyway. But yeah, no, I, I agree with the play it straight and it's funnier thing. That's my default. Yeah, well, regarding that stop-motion animation, Mark Tweedo said, can you imagine what they could do with the lighting? Mm. Plus, with Mignola's artwork, it it would look like it would be sculpted. They should get Wes Anderson to do that. <laughs> oh, that would, that would be, cool. be great. Yeah. And, and I think Mark should be a producer. Really, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, or an advisor or something. Yeah. And then at Rev Andy Carlson, he also jumped on that comment. He said that it would work really well with the recurring puppet show motif. And he said, but he would also like to see something in the Gendy Tartovsky style, like the Samurai Jack yeah. style. You know, that would be really cool, too. Dexter's Laboratory. Yeah. And, um, Clone Wars. Yeah. I like the Hellboy animated stuff as well. Yeah. Um, and I, I was just curious. I'm not sure I've ever heard you guys mention... Did you ever see the Lobster Johnson teaser that they had? Yeah, well, I, I actually okay. posted that. I, I think I posted online, but it's um after the end credits, right? There's right. a little okay. teaser, and Lobster Lobster comes up, and he like shoots, and as he shoots, yeah. his face is like illuminated by the gunshots. Have you seen that, Aubrey? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. I yeah. wish they so would have done that. That would have been so yeah. cool. It looked like they had plans for more. They should have kept going. From what I heard is that they they did have plans for at least a, at least one more. But um, it just lines the the studio didn't like the money. It didn't. I don't know something to do with money. Right, right. Uh. And then I actually noticed like if you go on Amazon Prime, there's one on there that I've never seen. But there's like a little advert for it. But you can't get it anymore. I don't know what that's about. If it was ever released or anyway. Mm. Um, last bit of feedback here. Ross said, "Surprised you're moving on to Hellboy and Hell so quickly, but I'm excited." Haven't reread it since the single issues, and I've had the library edition waiting to be read for months. It's odd Hellboy isn't on the cover, as if warning you to leave expectations at the gates. So I thought that was a great bit of feedback to go into our book club discussion for the week. This week we're going to be talking about Hellboy and Hell. We made it all the way over here, gang. Man, I'm excited. Right before we started this podcast, I uh, watched this um, video about coloring and 
comics and it was randomly i just happened to watch it and and it focused on hellboy and hell well and wouldn't it yeah and this then is, so this like, is like the master class in uh, comic book coloring is Dave oh yeah Stewart, hellboy and hell and then like so when you were talking to me about starting this podcast i remembered that video and so i've kind of been excited to get here yeah <laughs> no i i really think it's special that we've gotten all the way here we've read all the hellboy short stories we saw hellboy fight the dragon and die and then now here are, are his adventures in hell. And what makes it so special, too, is it's got all the Mignola art, right? So this is completely awesome. written and illustrated by Mignola all the way through, which is really special for, you know, the fans and everything. I remember being super pumped about this. And, um, yeah, I just think it's a big milestone of our journey here. We're going to be hitting a year next month, a year of doing wow. the, the oh, podcast. Wow. Yeah, it, it, it'll wow. be at the end of next month. But this is really special, too, to, to get here. You know, when we first started, I never thought that we'd be reading Hellboy in Hell. You know, even the thought of it, I was like, that's months and months away. And so I wanted to do something just a, li- just a little special, right? So I, I found these Hellboy Mega Construct guys. What? I found them at Walmart for like five bucks. Cute. And so I got, <laughs> I got you these little action figures. Thank Have you seen you. those little Aww. Mega Construct Hellboy? Have you seen this, Matt? It's like a little Lego yeah. Hellboy guy. No, I don't know. Well, I actually got you one too, Matt. (laughs) So I'll send it to you. Yeah, I'll I'll send it to you since you're celebrating this monumental thing with us. Yeah, sweet. So yeah, no, I was at Walmart. They had it for five bucks, and I was like, man, I was like, hmm, do I buy all of them? Like, I was about to drop like fifty bucks because they had so many of them, and I just wanted to buy all of them. But I was like, you know what? I'll get some for the book club gang here. So So, sentimental. Yeah. So uh, you have a little Hellboy toy to you know mess around with. Great. That's awesome. Thank you. This thing is super cool looking. <laughs> it's like a little Lego man. Yeah, I think this Mega Constructs is the, is that like the knockoff Lego? There's lots of They're, knockoff Legos, yeah. I guess. And so they have their own little sets and like they have all the, I guess they have the licensing for all the He-Man oh, action fun. figures because I noticed when I saw this one, they had all the Halo guys and they had all the masters of the universe guys and then they had hellboy for some reason i was like oh my god i'm buying this so and hellboy in hell tells the stories of hellboy's journey through hell after the events of the fury we're going to be talking about the first four issues today they were published from december 2012 to march 2013 story and art by mignola colors by dave stewart and letters by clem robbins and we open up with this brief history on December 23rd, 1944, Hellboy appeared in a fireball in the ruins of a church near East Bromwich, England. In 1952, he was granted honorary human status by a special act of the United Nations and began working as a field agent for the Bureau of Paranormal Research and Defense. He quit the BPRD in 2001 and traveled to Africa, where he was abducted by mermaids. After several years lost at sea, he returned to England, fought some giants, fell in love, and learned that he was the direct descendant of King Arthur and therefore the rightful king of all of Britain. Shortly thereafter, he fought a dragon and was killed. I think that okay. perfectly that sums up. great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, but if if this were like the original pitch for Hellboy, they would have said, yeah, we think we're going to pass. Right, exactly. <laughs> that, sounds, oh, right. that sounds a little convoluted. What's the whole mermaid thing and then King Arthur? <laughs> but in hindsight, it's awesome. Yeah, it really works so well. Yeah, they wrap up like three omnibus and two short story omnibus worth of right. material all in one paragraph, right? And a sentence. <laughs> There's a great forward to the library edition by Scott Alley, and one of the things that he talks about is 
you know, when Mignola was doing Wake the Devil. Remember, there's that briefing scene where Kate's telling everybody what's about to go down. And Mignola's mentioned, like, this is one of those scenes that you have to do. You know what I mean? you ha- It has to be part of the team book. And Scott Alley said this was the point where he didn't have to do any scenes like that anymore. He's yeah. not doing anything that he has to do anymore. This is just all stuff that he wants to do. Hell is Mignola's own dreamscape that he can kind of just build and do whatever he wants with. And we're all better for it. When yeah. artists are able yeah. to... Well, when... when- <laughs> When artists and writers who are masters at their craft are able to just do whatever the fuck they want, the result is this incredibly rich, it's so very finely detailed and then all at once it's not at all detailed and right. it's just, it's something that escapes description. But then like when you try to sum it up so neatly here, like Aubrey's saying in this little paragraph, it's right. like, oh, okay, well, that's interesting. <laughs> but when you get it in the context of all the artwork and and the uh, composition that he brings to it, and of course Dave Stewart. I, I know I sound like a broken record. I say this every <laughs> single episode, but it's just fucking beautiful. And yeah. No one does sequential art like this guy. Yeah. And it's it really he, is he a elevates experience. it to a fine art level that is very rare, and it was is a fucking privilege to read this shit. Yeah. Honestly. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know of other comic book makers that can just sit down and tell the perfect story in the exact way they want it told yeah. and have it resonate like this, especially when it's totally abstract. Yeah. I like, know. Yeah. I get chills reading it because I'm like, this is genius yeah. shit. And he thinks that he's not very good at what he does, which is incredible it to makes, me. It makes it like if you go back and read Strange Places after this, the uh, Third Wish and the Island, right. it makes it as if he was holding back yeah during that time absolutely oh, yeah. and like now he's like all right fuck it yeah uh, gloves are coming off yes <laughs> i love and that i'm gonna though. blow this up and i don't care what anybody says anymore i'm gonna do it the exact way i want to do it no matter what where else is that happening where it's also so successful oh yeah right i mean the world is better for it existing yeah. in the way that it does and i think that that's it's a, it's just a rare example of everything coming together just as it should Right. Well, he like kind of he worked to it, you know, yeah. and I mean, yeah. it's kind of like this has all been building towards that. And the final piece was killing Hellboy. And then it's like, OK, now I can do whatever I want, you know, but, it w- I, you know, I was anxious going into this. I, I had to my emotional processing began when they announced the series. Right. Um, <laughs> wow. It was, you know, Hellboy readers are so close to these stories and the characters. I felt like this was going to be so good. It was going to hurt. Like, like I, it was one of those things where, you know, in advance, it's going to make you want more right away. Yeah. Like if you're addicted to a drug and someone goes, oh, I got a better version of that. You do? <laughs> where is this? And where? why have you been keeping it from us? But hold on, I mean, like, man. Yeah. So this is just a total work of art as far as art and writing. Yeah. Storytelling in in the comics form. I mean, you know, it sounds silly, but my eyes were burning when I read this for the first time because (laughs) it was just too good. You know, it's like people say, oh, the hair stood up on the back of my neck. But for me, it was like not that I was tearing up, but my eyes hurt looking at it. Right. Yeah. Like I couldn't imagine it was going to be this good. And and. You know, it'd be awesome if somebody could challenge me on this, but I think this is one of the single best first issues in any Hellboy story. Sure. Yeah, nice. I had the privilege of being able to read it in the library edition, and that's the pages, these giant pages. 
it's just yeah anyway sorry Aubrey you're gonna oh yeah yeah no actually thank you for that because I did read it in the library edition. yeah it was fucking gorgeous oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah uh but no uh, touching on that whole like where Scott Alley says like because I, I did read that in the thing and okay. it made me think that um when Mike Mignola said like having the briefing is something that you're supposed to have it was also he was just starting out as a writer right uh because you know he'd just been an artist he even talks about how he just wanted to be an inker and so in the in the first stories you know he had john byrne doing the scripts for him you know he, john byrne was able to leave and it was all mike mignola and then you know he quit the bureau and it's like each step like that is him getting more confident in himself yeah and just I like that um you know, because it's like he's writing a book and he's like, okay, so this is how a teen book's supposed to go. And he's like, no, fuck it. I'm going to have him quit and go hang out with mermaids. Yeah, <laughs> um, kind of shedding tropes along the way. And yeah. Just kind of yeah. lets yeah. himself take over. And then, like, reading that and I started reading this story and I, everything about these first few issues was wonderful. I mean, yeah. it was just something fun and exciting and. I, I was blown away by everything. Absolutely a yeah. unique perspective in the world of sequential art, yeah. which is not something you see every day. Right. I want to open this thing. Oh, yeah. go Yeah, please. Uh, Danielle's opening her Hellboy fig it's here. It's going to be noisy, which is why I said that. I'm going to wait until I get home. And open it. Uh, so you guys have volume seven. Make note of the cover. I have a theory about who that is. But oh, okay. We'll get there. Nice. Yeah, we'll get to that. We open on this first panel with Baba Yaga. I never liked him, but even I have to admit, he ended well. And I really, wow. I just really love that. That's such an awesome already. opening, right? Yes, already. You're so like, good. oh my God. It almost yeah. feels like uh, you're watching, like, you know, she's being interviewed. Right. Uh, <laughs> so, <Yeah>. Miss Yaga, <laughs> tell us your opinion of Hellboy. <laughs> Like a reality show, like those confessionals. Right. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, like so the funny. office style. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah. I want to see that. We're just hit over the head with Mignola's art, right? As he recounts mm-hmm. the events of the Fury. I remember reading, uh, I don't know if I was reading or if it was a podcast I listened to with Duncan Figredo. And Duncan talks about being, you know, totally shocked that Mignola is redrawing some of the stuff that he did you know can you imagine seeing mignola do his version of what you drew you know what i mean yeah Yeah. (laughs) like panel for panel um, which is really incredible and so we'd immediately jump right to it we're watching hellboy fight the dragon at the end of the fury and all this is just amazing the color is really intense and then we also see the part where nimue plucked his heart out and the pacing as Hellboy crumbles is the exact same also as from the Fury. Remember that we saw Baba Yaga and Edward Gray. They were watching Hellboy's confrontation with the dragon and his death. And we're back at that moment from their point of view. Baba Yaga says, I saw him kill the dragon and saw Nimue's ghost pluck out his heart. I've seen enough. And you? And so I really like this kind of opening because first we got that little kind of interview thing with Baba Yaga. Yeah. And it's almost like she's talking to us. And then when we get this panel, it's almost like she's talking to us here, but she's really talking to Edward Gray. And so that little reveal where it shows that she's talking to Edward Gray. I don't know. It just kind of, just like, just like Matt was saying, it's just a great piece of writing and it puts me right back in the story, you know? Yeah. And it's a, it's an also a nice way to do a recap without feeling like a recap right yeah exactly you know it's not like previously on the hellboy <laughs> well and you get edward gray right away come on this yeah is gonna immediately. Be great. i cannot wait yes and gray says his story is not finished 
But it's his story, Sir Edward, not yours, Baba Yaga said. You should let him go. There are things he has yet to do, horrible things. You go now and drag him out of the pit, you may find that you take some of his burden upon yourself. Are you prepared to do that? And he's just like, I am. Show me where oh. he is. And, and it's get, just oh. like, yeah. God, that's oh. so awesome. I mean, it's just like. <laughs> the dialogue doesn't fuck around. Exactly. It's straight to the point. It's Epic. so artful and it's so heightened. Everything is on just a higher plane. And then it's all, of course, all, this conversation is framed by action shots of the heart falling the flaming heart yeah yes. which yes, as, i was gonna bring that up too as far as imagery goes i mean it doesn't get much better it has urgency to it you know what yeah. i mean yeah. also i feel like and what one thing that i thought was interesting about this heart falling down is is that their point of view from it because we saw nimue's holding it and all the witches are dragging her but we don't see that we just see the heart going. You know what I mean? Are both things happening at once? I take it like at a point is where Nimue doesn't have a hold of it anymore. Oh, and it's just going. Yeah, because I mean, you're seeing you're falling through the abyss and all that. Right. Yeah. And that brings us to the next fucking page, which, holy shit, this just this page alone brings sequential art as a whole to a new fucking level. Yeah. This is something mm-hmm. you can't, this is the type of storytelling you can't do any other way. I mean, I've said it before and I'll say it again. There's a reason this guy had an entire installation in the fucking Met. Right. I mean, this, look at this fucking page. <laughs> look at it. Yeah. Holy shit. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, you know that, that previous panel where Edward Gray said, I am, show me where he is. That was uh, my first letter that I wrote on this series, which was published in the fourth issue, I think. Yeah, I actually that. saw that yesterday when I was looking through it. I was like, oh, look, there's Matt's comment, and you did cool. talk about that panel, yeah. Yeah, that's one of the most exciting things ever, and you're right. I mean, you turn the page, and you're like... That page! I, I don't I don't need to keep reading yeah. the rest of the day. I could just hang out on this page. <laughs> honestly, honestly, I stared at it for so long, I was just like, this is a masterpiece. a masterpiece. Yes. Yeah, it really yeah. is. <laughs> And we watch Hellboy fall into this skull mouth. So there are all these statues throughout yeah. Hell that we kind of see. And this is one of the first really incredible ones. But to have a concept and to execute it perfectly and for it to be this fucking good. <laughs> I mean, you could, one could only hope to, to reach anywhere near creating something like this. But the word masterpiece, I feel like it's just... I feel right. like it's not overused here. I feel like it's not out of place well i was gonna say and then like on the very next page a third of the page is a solid black panel how do do you get away with that (laughs) storytelling good storytelling Uh, oh and then over here there won't be anything yeah i mean that's just amazing (laughs) i also like how in our first uh glimpse into into hell in the hellboy story it's not all traditional hell look but it is kind of but it's everything's black right dark like a like you're in a cave but it's also you can see the smoke and it's all fiery and it's really cool to see his take on hell and yet dave stewart takes all of that imagery mm-hmm. and i've never yeah. seen such colors yeah and oh. in, in these library editions i have never seen such colors and he takes it from one extreme to the other without ever losing any subtlety and the the tone on tone and the down to the the digital brushwork i mean we watched that thing a interview documentary kind of right, deal yeah. with him and it it, uh, it only deepened my appreciation for for what he does but these pages in this book are some of his best work as well i think yeah the panels are 
kind of minimalistic, but they really just kind of give you exactly what you need. And and I love this one just all red panel as Hellboy yeah. hits. We go from these you know. reds and oranges and yellows to these amazing, you know, the greens and the blues. And then we've got all this purple comes in and all the pinks and purples. He knows exactly where to use every tone. And it's just masterful. And I just really love the pacing of this as Hellboy falls and he hits the ground. There's just kind of this beat, like Matt said, that panel of all black. And then he stands up and it reveals this, you know, this crazy scene that he's in. So he's staying on this rock and there's all these like crustacean sea monsters around him. There's just an exclamation point in his word bubble or whatever. So it's just really good pacing to get up to that one giant splash page. And we don't see uh, a red Hellboy anymore here. Yeah. Yeah. Right after he fell through that thing's mouth, he wasn't red anymore. As soon as he landed, so keep that in mind. Oh, yeah. He's got kind of a washed out look. Yeah. You mentioned the exclamation point, the sound from Metal Gear Solid, where the guards hear you. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That sound went through my head. And these bugs start calling a Hellboy. He's just like, oh, crap. It just immediately starts, right? tentacles start coming up and around him. Right. (laughs) And we've seen a lot of creatures like this in Goodbye, Mr. Todd and the Whittier Legacy. And most recently, the transformation of J.H. O'Donnell. We saw like these kind of fly bug creatures. Yeah. Goodbye, Mr. Todd. Yeah. All-time favorite. Oh, yeah? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's my favorite Hellboy story. Nice. That's a great one. And it, and it has so many of the themes that kind of resonate throughout, including this, you know, um, we get a little callback in just these monsters. Suddenly, Edward Gray appears behind him. He tells Hellboy that he's in the abyss, not quite hell. This is the outer edge. You are staring into the bottomless depths of chaos, he says. Oh, sorry I asked, Hellboy says. <laughs> Understandable. <laughs> And as Hellboy is talking, like Danielle said, all the tentacles from the sea creatures are kind of coming up around him. Hellboy starts to ask Ed Gray who he is. And we get this really beautiful effect as Gray is creating these symbols in the air. Yeah, these sigils that he's making, they illuminate his hand. Right. The the way that that's done is just chef's kiss. And again, it's very minimalist, but it's so evocative of the movement of the movement of his hands. Yeah. I love just the concept of it, but the way that it's executed just makes me want to (laughs) cry. I like, I like uh, when you see when he first starts drawing it and he's got the full sigil and then it's got kind of a little crackle as he's going on to do the next one and everything. And you can almost imagine that that kind of, Crackle kind of disappears a little bit, and then sure. as he starts to draw oh, the next one, yeah, it's like, like the, the energy is following his fingers. Right, kind of like when you play with a, what is it yeah. called? Um, sparkler. Sparkler, right. Yeah. Yeah, I love that, Aubrey. And Gray sends out this full panel burst of energy that drives back all these bug creatures, and it also reveals how many there are, right? Because I love that That's kind so of effect cool, yeah. where we just kind of, we yeah. just saw the head of, you know, one or two and then when Gray sends this light out, you see just how many are all around them. There's all these sea creatures coming out of the water. Just really awesome. And it also drives Hellboy back. He falls into the water with a spoosh. It's one of those Mignola <laughs> sound effects. And uh, this is so well done, too, because he sends out this blast. And there's a, this kind of like little panel of him like winding up again. Yeah. And then on the next one, he sends out another one. So I kind of feel like he's got to like build up to it. Right. He's completing preparing the spell right yeah. Know, the sigils yeah and stuff as gray is fending off the insects 
Hellboy encounters a familiar voice. He says, you've got the wrong guy, pal. And then he sees his face, right? And so this is... I love a, the cracked helmet. Yeah, he's got thing. this big crack down the middle of his head. And he swings the hammer. And right as the hammer is about to hit Hellboy, he goes, hey, now I remember you. And then <laughs> we just get a boom. So this is the hammer of Aligos, former Duke and Knight of the Order of the Fly. Aligos used to command 60 legions of Hell's army, but after Hellboy crushed his ring and dropped part of a bridge on him at Morgan Le Fay's castle in the Wild Hunt, he was obviously cast down into the abyss. And over these next few pages, Mignola just lets the art tell the story. Gray fights back the monstrous insects, and Hellboy gets boomed by Alegos. And all this is just really awesome. Finally, Hellboy grabs the hammer and yells, Enough! Not enough, Alegos responds. Not enough by half. You cost me everything. Gray comes over to them, and he's creating, like, these purple tendrils, right? Or something? Is that, like, lightning, maybe? Or Lightning? Yeah. He gets Alegos with it, too. And he encapsulates him in this, like, ball. Alegos warns that if Gray sides with his enemy, like him, be destroyed. I like to think that it's like a giant sigil. It's just too big for us to see the whole thing. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, cool. All the lightning. And, yeah, you're right. And don't go past the flying naked guy line where Hellboy sees Gray and goes, flying naked guy? Oh, that's right. Him. So when Gray... Yeah, thank you for pointing that out, Matt. So when Gray flies over to help Hellboy fight a Legos, he faintly says, flying naked guy. It's in that little dialogue. Yeah. I it's like... Just- I like that he's probably all dazed and he just sees Gray in the air. Well, he's retained his, his personality through all of this, which yeah. is a blessing yeah. for us. Right. Because, you know, with without it, it's just this big, epic, grand thing. Right. And then we don't get the uh, very grounded Hellboy reactions to everything. So it's, it's good mm-hmm. that that's still there. And you can kind of see here, if it wasn't evident, that Gray's wearing like this mask. You know, he is a naked guy. He just has this mask and a cloak. And Alegos breaks out of the orb... And he's being, like, real matter-of-fact about it. He's like, uh, he's a tough bastard. I'll give him that. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, he's really got it in for me. He does. <laughs> you know? It's just so cool. So we should go now. And Hellboy says, okay, by me. So Gray's, like, able to zap him out of there, teleport him out of there, and Legos is just left standing in the dark. Gray and Hellboy appear to teleport to his home. Hellboy asks where they are. Sorry, my throat is so scratchy just a place gray says i hope to trap him here destroy him if i can do you recognize him gray asked hellboy i love he's drawing all these sigils on the walls and stuff. yeah you can kind yeah. of see all that artwork and also the cityscape on the side too is really nice well isn't it cool how the word balloon from panel four is in the first panel oh yeah yeah i love this i love it that happens a few times in this series yeah, that is great pacing. I mean, it's just, Manola's just having a good time. Yeah. <laughs> Hellboy explains the, his beef with Elegos. Gray is concerned that Elegos wasn't powerless. Hellboy says that he remembers Gray from the fight at the end of the Fury. I've watched you a long time, Gray says. I'd hoped we'd have a few moments. Doesn't look like that's going to happen, Hellboy says. And Elegos emerges from the nearby shadows. I also want to point out this recreation of the panel where he's saying none shall enter. Yeah, that's really good from the Fury. And all this is really good. I love seeing Ed Gray, the mask and everything. Just the design is just really great with all the writing behind it. 
the pages just flow so well. Maybe when this is over, Grace says. I hope so, Hellboy responds. Jeez, he really got big. You have to go now, Grace says. And he teleports Hellboy away. The dialogue is, uh, hang on, I can... I feel like he's going to say yeah. he can help, and then Edward Gray's like, no, you can't. Not yet. Yeah. yeah. And he teleports Hellboy to the top of the stairs, so he just appears on front of the stairwell, and so the first thing he does is fall down the stairs. <laughs> well, and I love this effect, too, that we get right after that, where uh, Edward Gray's been making all these sigils to try and trap this demon, right? The culmination of that is this, almost like a crack of lightning, like a peel of lightning, where... It appears right above where they all are in this like furious smoke pile that's right. going on. And then there's a giant sigil. And so I oh, thought that, yeah. that that really struck me as being a very effective action shot. Yeah. And it's kind of like you said that the lightning was a big giant sigil. We just couldn't yeah. see all of it. That's that it perfectly right. explains that right there. Yeah, and I love Hellboy falling down the stairs too. He's knocking down all these paintings as he goes. Yeah, like first he fell into hell. Uh, yeah, and, <laughs> and this falling down the stairs, yeah, it makes that look like a cakewalk. <laughs> well, and it also reminds me, like, okay, in Wake the Devil, he fell through Castle Jurescu, yeah, and in Darkness Calls, he oh. fell through the witch's coven, like he landed right in the middle of where they were meeting. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he he seems to fall a lot too. <laughs> he always lands right where he needs to be. And here he lands right in front of a puppet theater. (laughs) And so he watches this puppet theater do a scene from A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Which we all know was adapted from the 1980s movie Scrooge with Bill Murray. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I love the puppets. Mignola likes to draw these little marionettes all the time. It's super cute. Yeah, and so A Christmas Carol in prose being a ghost story of Christmas, commonly known as A Christmas Carol, is a novella by Charles Dickens, first published in London in 1843 and illustrated by John Leach. A Christmas Carol recounts the story of Ebenezer Scrooge, an elderly miser who is visited by the ghost of his former partner, Jacob Marley and the spirits of Christmas past, present, and yet to come. After their visit, Scrooge is transformed into a kinder, gentler man. And so so we're seeing that scene where Jacob Marley appears to Scrooge for the first time. And I noticed in the artist edition, it says, For Tom, on this page. So I don't know who Tom is, but that's, I guess, Tom ended up with this awesome page here. Scrooge is talking to Jacob Marley, and it's this scene Jacob Marley says, I wear the chain I forged in life. I made it link by link and yard by yard. It is a strange pattern to you, or would you know the weight and length of the strong coil you bear? It is a ponderous chain. Speak comfort to me, Jacob, Scrooge says. I have none to give, Marley responds. And so this is all kind of very ominous, you know, kind of set building. So Jacob Marley's like, hey, I'm the guy I used to know and I have chains on and you're going to, three ghosts are going to visit you. Back to you, John. Um, (laughs) When he says... uh, (laughs) look to see me no more but look that you remember and so hellboy turns around and there's a spirit behind him the design of this spirit is fucking awesome the reason the storytelling it took this route is that we're meant to believe that hell is a place where it's kind of your own psyche is sort Mm -hmm. of taking you through this journey it's sort of maybe a weird like dreamlike psychedelic Maybe not even a place, just kind of a a mind state. Right. Well, Scott Alley described it as Mignola's dreamscape. Yeah, So, yeah, that's a perfect way to describe it. 
I, I think this is the ghost of Christmas past or, or supposed to be. I think it's literally Lethe. I don't want to jump ahead if you were going to mention it on the next page. I'm just saying like the narrative has taken this shape because maybe this is something that made an impression on Hellboy personally. Like when he was oh, young, yeah. he saw a marionette show right. on the puppet station where they were doing the Christmas Carol special. And oh, so I was, you know what I mean? I, I was thinking he probably just watched a Christmas Carol and then sure. it, it manifests as a marionette sure. show. <laughs> But for some reason, he he probably just didn't care for it. <laughs> but I like this line, uh, Ghost of Christmas Pass. Uh, the spirit says, not, not hardly. hardly. That's, right. that's, I love that beat. <laughs> yeah, and just like Matt was mentioning, I wasn't going to mention that, Matt. That's a great find. So on the next page, as this ghost takes Hellboy by his hand, they both go flying up. It kind of reminds me of Darkness Calls, where the witch takes Hellboy into the air. But it does say, Lethe. And did you look that up? Lethe was... Uh... Also the name of a Greek spirit of forgetfulness and oblivion. Ah. So that's, it's kind of it's nice that he would be the uh, ghost of Christmas past in this story. Right. Ghost of forgetfulness. So um, Lethe was also a river in hell. Yes, and that, that's what I knew it as. So thank you so and much so, for doing that bit of research, Matt. The reason I did it is because they have this weird green panel down here. Yeah. And that is a zoom in of what's coming out of that statue's mouth that says Lethe on it. Right. Mm. More to come. Yes, I love that. Thank you for pointing that out. That also can explain why um, the ghost didn't have any eyes, because, you know, eyes being forgetful. And yeah, very good. This is, uh, just real quick also, on the, the page that you were talking about with the statue with that says Lethe on it, above that, and this is something that John said to me a while back, he's like, uh, look at this panel. These are just shapes, but you know what they are. Oh, right. You, yeah. were, you were telling me something about how much you were impressed by the fact that these are just some shapes, but we know that in these two little shapes, there's so much gesture included. There's so much. He says so much with so little. Yeah. And that's really impressive to me how you can you can make out what these shapes are. And then right next to that is a very detailed kind of zoomed in version of what's going on there so you don't always need to do that you can if you know what you're looking at your your eyes and your mind are going to fill in the rest of it and just kind of you know you just need the impression of something it's a great it's impressionist it's very you know and of course with all this backdrop of these creepy hillside buildings yeah stuff like that all the uh town and buildings studies that he did are all in that Oh, in, this, in the library edition, The library yeah. edition, and you can look at those, and he's like, yeah, I got carried away with these. Are you afraid? The ghost asks. Let's see, Hellboy says. I got killed, fell into a hole full of giant bugs, and a big iron guy beat the crap out of me with a hammer. Considering the day I'm having, I think I'm doing pretty good. So where are we now? In the actual issue, you turned the page, and there was one of those big creepy statues, and it said pandemonium. Yeah. So that's how that issue ended. And pandemonium roughly translates as all demons. It can also be interpreted as all demon place. John Milton invented the name of the capital of hell built by the fallen angels at the suggestion of Mammon at the end of book one of Paradise Lost in 1667. And that's the name of chapter two. We see Hellboy and the spirit flying through hell. Out of the cities, cross the Stygian Sea, Cross the lake of fire to the heart of hell, pandemonium. And we see the city and it bleeds. Oh, it's so fucking cool. Well, it's like lava blood. Yeah. yeah. It's so cool. 
and I love this. There's all these statues. And so in the sketchbook, Mignola talks about that a lot of these are based on real statues and he just knocked out. He Pieces just like knocked out part of the statues <laughs> and then chunks and body had parts. like blood flowing out of them. We or made these, these mouths. Yeah, on the stomach stomachs. mouths and stuff like that. It's such an original and super fucking cool idea. Ugh. Yeah. And so I love this as we focus in on the city. The statues tell their story. There was a second fall of angels, the spirit who witnessed the coming of man, but would not kneel. And for the sin of pride, they were hurled down into the abyss. One rose up and declared he would not be bound. He declared himself a king and reared up a great city. Holy crap, Hellboy says. Uh (laughs) (laughs) I promise you, you have nothing to fear in this place. Hellboy's like, because we're invisible? No. Really? I thought for sure we'd be invisible, Hellboy says. No need. Oh, it's, it's <laughs> so I actually, good. Yeah, I started laughing out loud at this page. It's so good. Oh, it's great. And the ghost, I thought for sure we'd be invisible. <laughs> <laughs> and the ghost says, there's no one here to see us. They're just flying through. And then so they go up to this statue. You sure about that, Hellboy asks. And it's one of those, it's got like the mouth, stomach yeah. mouth thing. I just really love that. That's such a creepy design. You can see it in this statue up here. And the way the color is done. Yeah, you can really kind of see that the light is coming from that stomach mouth hole or whatever. <laughs> and as they go in there, the spirit tells Hellboy that the news of him coming to hell caused all to hide themselves. All the princes, ministers, dukes, marquis, earls, and knights, along with their legions, all fled. Not that I'm sorry to have missed them, but why, Hellboy asks. And the spirit flies them to the citadel of the fly. And so I love this as they're kind uh, of going into there. There's all these mouths that are kind of like bleeding all all this stuff. And there's that huge symbol of the fly that we saw on the in art, Illegal's on, Ring. On the art pages, yeah. he's doing all this and he's he's like labeling what the stuff is. And he has this a couple of pages where he's like, it's like lava blood. Yeah. That's what he calls it. So it's like this weird, you know, he doesn't quite know what it is, but he, he knows it looks cool. Right. It which does, is pretty much all you need as an artist, great. I guess. But it's, yeah, like you said, like the big sigil of the fly and all this stuff. The fucking art in this page is so fucking good. This work, you know, to me, it's comparable with like, you know, you talk about Geiger's designs, you know, for stuff like Alien yeah. and stuff like that. Can yeah. you imagine like a place like... You know, like the kind of set design that he could do if he was just like unleashed with this kind of stuff. If you could recreate these colors. So uh, Hellboy is red again. Yeah. Ah, okay. Just that one panel or that one page. Yeah, nice catch on that. The Citadel of the Fly, once the seat of power, the beating heart of pandemonium. And we get this one panel of like it in its prime. We see all the demons there, and the color just really makes this stand out. It looks so awesome. We see one in there that kind of looks like Shax, who we saw on the Soul of Venice. Yeah, I also like how on the when it's in its prime, the um, the lighting is more yellow instead of orangey red. Yeah, the spirit says they're all gone, save one. You better not mean me, because we've been through all this crap before. Hellboy responds. The spirit says that Hellboy made his position clear, but there is something he should see before he goes. And he takes Hellboy to his throne. And so this is so awesome. So he takes him to his throne and there's like this huge statue behind it of this like winged statue holding a sword. And there we see Hellboy's crown, his father's sword and the ring 
all rightfully yours to take, the ghost says. Well, were you going to note that the fly is alive? Oh, yeah, yeah. the fly is buzzing <laughs> in the ring. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think that was the same effect that we saw on the other ring. Yeah, I like that effect. Thank you for pointing that out. In the, uh, I, I to keep bringing this up, but in the, the library edition, there's a version of this statue yes. where the like skeleton angel guy has one of those stomach mouths and there's like that lava blood yeah. coming out of it. And he was like, well, I thought that would be just too distracting, but on second thought, maybe it would be cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, like all the minute decisions that go into like, should I do this or that? Seems like, how do you even get a book out? I would be forever yeah. <laughs> trapped by all the possibilities, but that's the, I think that's the part of the courage of being yeah. an artist is just like we already talked about last time is putting it out there, even though, you know, you're like, well, Maybe it's not finished. I don't know. I still right. want to keep working on it forever. But you put it out there and it is what it is. And then, of course, you know, if it's this, yeah. <laughs> the, the reader response is going to be, ah, 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 ah. Uh, Yeah, but thanks for bringing up that little thing from the library edition sketchbook. I was, I really loved reading those, the giant pages. I mean, you know, you just yeah. get so much more depth to all the, yeah. the panels and the colors and everything's just larger than life. But then... The added bonus is when you get to the back, you can see all the little oh, yeah. art pages, his little sketches yeah, and, and notes I'm, and stuff. I was telling Aubrey, there's actually more in the library edition than there is in the omnibus. So if you have the library edition of Hellboy in Hell and the omnibus, definitely check out the sketchbook in the library edition version. There's more pages in there. But 70 pages. Right? Holy crap. I didn't even know yeah. how many it was. Unreal. But uh, I also wanted to point out this detail that Hellboy's father's sword is broken. Yeah. We got the flaming crown. The broken sword, and then this ring, which, as you uh, pointed out already, it says his ring of office and the fly in there is alive. Right. Which is really cool. Didn't we just go through all this, Hellboy ass? I don't want any of it. I know, the ghost says. You said they all ran off, save one. And I love this. So the ghost kind of like gestures. He kind of like points up, and then he points over to this door, and there's kind of like some light coming from that. It might even be a beckoning. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Come here and look in here. Yeah, I love that. And Hellboy's like, who's in there? Satan. And and as he says Satan, it shows this statue. It's just great pacing. The floating crown on the statue. Yeah. With an even more detailed stomach mouth face. The statue is so goddamn scary. And the coloring is so different from the coloring that surrounds it, which makes that panel very impactful. The enemy, king of the rebel spirits king of the world lord over all powers of the air the ghost says yeah i've heard of him hellboy responds (laughs) for two thousand years he has been sleeping alone and unguarded all his domain governed by his lesser creatures a simple matter for someone to go down there break his neck crush his skull and we get this one panel of the stairway i I like the idea that you go down into satan's lair like it's not Normally, you would think you would go up yeah, yeah, yeah. to see the king, but here you go down all these levels. Or like Macbeth, steal into his chamber of his sleeping king to cut his throat. And the ghost kind of holds this dagger towards Hellboy. And we get this quote from Macbeth. Is this a dagger which I see before me, the handle towards my hand? So when I read that, I um, do you remember Dead Poet Society of Robin Williams? Oh, yeah, I do remember that. There's this one part where he's like, you know, trying to get the kids interested in the reading. He's like, now imagine John Wayne doing uh, Macbeth. Is that a dagger I see in front of me? <laughs> Some shit like that. <laughs> so every time I hear that from ever since I saw that, I mean, that's how I hear that all the time now. 
And so we get this panel of Hellboy just looking at the handle of the dagger. And then we get this one panel. It's just all black. And it says, who would have thought the old man to have so much blood in him? And then we get this one panel of the knife falling to the floor, bloodied. And it just says, clang. I love that panel. That's one of my all-time favorite panels. This was left wide open to interpretation, but I, I guessed what happened here. And I feel like I lost major geek points for not calling it out or writing it about <laughs> it. Oh, right. Okay. Well, maybe maybe uh, it's better that you didn't so that it kind of, the people who maybe didn't guess right, were right. able to yeah. sort of. But yeah, I yeah. mean, for me, I was just like, oh. This it's is... just these quick two panels. Yeah. And it just kind of leaves like that. And then we cut to Hellboy and he just goes back to his conversation. Yeah, but the guy is different now. The spirit Yes, is that's what different. I was going to yeah. mention. So he says, they ran when they heard I was coming. Why? So many reasons. The spirit says, I've seen enough. And then the spirit says, not yet. But when we look at it, it's a different spirit. So this would be Ghosts of Christmas Present, right? I don't know. I guess like, I, I didn't catch it until I, I went through it a second time with knowledge. And then also what you just brought up about the uh, the ghost, Matt, earlier. It all of a sudden made all this stuff kind of sort of click yeah. into place. I'm like, okay, now I get what's going on. And then, uh, so, but when I first read through it, I just thought he's like, he handed in the dagger and I thought he didn't take the dagger. And then the spirit just popped out and the other one popped in. But yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Hellboy is transported over to this other area. We get this one panel of orange. They're in this different space. They're kind of in front of this waterfall over these rivers. What the hell was that? Hellboy asks. And where's the other guy? And then he remembers that uh, puppet show. You will be haunted by three spirits. Right, Hellboy says. Okay, now look at this like waterfall, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Think back to the Statue of Lethe. Yeah. When he, when he saw the first ghost and it was like a zoom in. Yeah. And this, this so, kind of looks like that zoom in now. Yeah, and then so they go to the next panel. He says, this is the river Cocytus. Yes. I think that spirit is Cocytus. And ah. that, that literally translates to lamentation, and which is basically just bitching. And think about <laughs> think about how you're always bitching about the present. Right. Oh, I wish it was more like the past, or oh, one day I hope it's not like this anymore. Yeah. Maybe that's not always true, but I think that's a good reason for Cocytus to represent the ghost of Christmas present, so to speak, or, or fill that role here. Sure. And like Lethe, it's another river. There's more to this theory of mine, but we'll get there. Yeah, and thank, thank you for filling that out. And Cocytus is a river in the underworld in Greek mythology. It flows into the river Acheron on the other right. side, which lies Hades, the underworld, right. and the mythological abode of the dead. There are five rivers encircling Hades. Yeah, but thank you for doing the rest of that research on Cocytus. And I did have that, that it means lamentation, although I like bitching better uh-huh. as the <laughs> translation. <laughs> Just beautiful pages as as we go throughout. I hope we're not skipping no, when we're talking to the, about the art. It would just be a five-hour-long podcast. But Well, I, I know, but I mean, we already, these, we already turned the pages. page, and I'm still <laughs> talking about the page before it. Like, that's okay. Oh, that's so no, good. that's fine. And then, of course, we get to all the creepy trees and stuff. Like The spirit tells Hellboy to look into the water. And there's these skeleton fish in there, and they're calling out for help. They are misspent lives, the spirit says. Not the great monsters, but the common damned. Hellboy asks, who decides who's damned? Each man's soul is his own. How he chooses to spend it 
That is for each man to decide for himself. The I like the says. misspent lives line, yeah. where yeah. it's like, look, they didn't run around murdering people, but they also misspent their lives. That to me, that kind of symbolizes like you've you've created your own hell for yourself. Yeah, kind yeah. of a deal. Not that, very... not that they're being punished for a particular sin of misspending their life, but that they've created their own hell. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I like. It. I kind of took it similar. Like you know, each person's life and fate is their own to decide, and they ended up in hell because that's how they decided. Not it, consciously, not like, like right. now I'm going to be a hell. Right. But that, that or I kind of took it more as like, these people are in the process of misspending their life, as in they're, they're not going after the thing that they're secretly wishing they could do. Instead of going after it, they're just kind of like, oh, same old, same old, I guess I'll just, you know, keep doing whatever. Instead of that, like that in and of itself kind of, you are creating that around you and you're refusing to acknowledge it, right. which is kind of an interesting take on it as these little fish in this, yeah. this river being and, hammered into this. Anyway, we haven't got there yet, but yeah. And, and, and I think it also maybe says something about like, you know, I don't want to get into philosophical discussions, but the fact that Mignola would put something like this into the oh, story, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think that, that that kind of says something too. Yeah. It's very easy to go with the flow rather yeah. than to... Yeah. sure try and go against the this whole book is a this whole book you could say is a is a theme of that yeah absolutely hellboy asks what something is over there the fisher of souls the spirit says you have nothing to fear from him and so we we pan over to that to that this giant creature so talk about going with the flow this guy literally to me represents corporate america sure he's blind and deaf his eyes burned out by spark his ears shattered by the sound of his own hammer. Oh, that so is, good. Right? That's yeah. like your own job is going to be the death of you. Exactly. Maybe, yeah. maybe even capitalism in general. but. And I'm mm-hmm. just now noticing there. there's a chain that's wrapped. Like it comes out of the water and it comes up through his legs. Yep. And it's like it's, he is. So he's chained to his job. Yeah. Yeah. And so he's taking the fish out of the water and hammering them like a blacksmith into the army of the hell. So capitalism, yeah. Yeah, really. And the spirit mentions that it's one of those watchers from the very beginning, right? And one of the ones that had to kill Anam after he pulled fire from the air. It is his strong arm that built Pandemonium. So he's built the whole city and everything in it as well. Yeah, when I read that, I was just like, oh, oh, that was pretty cool because it kind of ties in that whole kind of creation story. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, okay, so that one spirit who did that is now doing this. Right. Yeah. And the Army of the Dead, we've seen these a couple times. They showed them in, I think it was the Storm and the Fury, and then we also saw them again in that Santiago Caruso story, Witchcraft and Demonology, and they looked like this. You know, they the army um, has this similar um, armor. The whole yeah. progression where he's hammering the fish and then throwing the guy. Like yeah. A, like he's a gingerbread yeah. man. <laughs> pile of guys is just so fucking chilling. It's like... It's like they just stop to watch him work for a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And we really get to see that. And as he's hammering, the panels are this bright red, right? Yeah. And I like how he just throws them in a pile. It's like they're not set neatly or anything. They're oh, still, yeah. Once that army wakes up, they're going to be like tripping over themselves until they get themselves <laughs> sorted out. The rabble. Yeah. And there's only one object that can breed life into that army. Your own right hand. I, I don't, don't care. Yeah. Hellboy doesn't care. I don't want any of it, and I've seen enough, so let's just... And the ghost takes him by his hand. That's a new one. 
Okay, so that's where I was confused. That's why I thought this one was the one of past. But you're right. This is where the shift takes place because this one has wings, right? Well, it's, the other yeah. guy had wings. No, well, the other one had wings too. It's just a different guy, though. It's just, yeah, it's a different one. It's got more um, scale on his arm. Yeah, we can see that where it grabs his hand. It, you can see like scales. Yeah, that's awesome. This last part is very fucking chilling here. Just one more thing. And it takes Hellboy to this dark cavern. You know this place. And Hellboy says, no. Are you sure? This is the house where you were born. And we get all these mood shots as we go through here. We see the hooks. Uh, Yeah. And his reaction is our reaction. Yeah. It's abject horror. It's this bone chilling horror. And Hellboy pleads with the ghost. He says, don't do this. And it kind of, it's pointing up, and then the, the fi- there's like a flame over its head that's blue, and then it turns to, like, orange. And then Hellboy bursts into flames, right, when this happens. It kind of, like, so it like starts the memory right there. Like, now, it's this cold place after it happened, but at the time, you know, it was all probably on fire and everything. So it's like he's restarting the memory right there. So that's the last ghost, right? This would take the place of Ghosts of Christmas Future? Yeah. Not... I always thought this was the guy on the cover of the uh, library edition. I could ah, be wrong. Okay. The wings yeah. are different, but I always thought maybe that was him. And they don't name this guy. So if the first one was Lethe and that river seemed to flow into Cocytus, which you mentioned flows into Acheron, wouldn't this be Acheron? Ah, okay. Okay. Because if one ghost leads to another, yeah. one river flows into another, that's just that's where my theory is. I love but that. I think, wow. Because because why put that particular image on the cover if it wasn't significant? Right. And and we've heard Acheron before. Like of course we're we're, we're going to get there, but that is incredibly significant to the to the story. I love that. Yeah. Very good. I was Go also ahead. going to point out how when you um, right before Hellboy bursts into flames and you see the you know the panel turns red and you see the face of the spirit. It's also the skull, which is similar to the Ghost of Christmas Future in the original right. Dickens stories. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like Grim Reaper. Yeah. Yeah. And so it says, Hell, October 5th, 1617. There's a timestamp in Hell. Yeah, there is. They're, they're, <laughs> they're following month and year like we would. <laughs> I, I just think that's hilarious. They have their own calendar. But, uh, yeah. well, and we'll get there, but I want to come back to that. And yeah. we, we see Sarah Hughes, and she's on the hooks. And so we saw a scene similar to this in the new Hellboy movie. They showed Sarah Hughes on the hooks, and I thought that they were going to show this scene. Oh. I was actually kind of worried they were going to show this scene. I was like, oh, please don't show this already. This is too soon to show this. But they didn't. But I thought it was going to go there because they did show a scene where she was on the hooks, and then she, like, burned up. Mm, right. And that's kind of what happens here. As Azeo is talking to her, she's kind of disintegrating and turning into a skeleton. And then from that, it looks like that's where they pull Hellboy from, right? That's what it looks mm-hmm. like. Yeah. Yeah. And so they pull this baby Hellboy down. Baby Hellboy so cute. You are honored to bear my son, Azeo says to Sarah Hughes as she disappears. And upon his head, all my hopes. And they cut off the baby's hand. Little tiny baby arm. Yeah, it is so crazy. They cut off the right arm of baby. Walk. And, and, and we, yeah, it's got that Vignola sound effect walk. It's just a panel of black with red lettering. And we see the little hand falling through. And then we get this one panel where we see Astaroth and these two little demons next to him. 
So that's kind of significant later. And then we get this this skull figure that's holding the right hand of doom. Like what this blew that? my mind. Yes, I don't like what is that thing right there? This the the first time I read this issue, I did not know we were ever going to get this. I had never had any idea that we would ever get anything like this. I thought that we had seen Hellboy's birth already and that right. and I just had no idea that we might get anything like and it was just blowing my mind. So this skull thing, it holds up the right hand of doom and then it kind of does some sort of magic that it seems like maybe is what binds it to Hellboy. I have no idea what this force is, but I'm so interested and intrigued by this. And the first time I read it, I thought it was what I was calling Acheron earlier. Ah, okay. I, yeah. I don't think that anymore, but what is it? Yeah, I don't right? know. I don't know. It's just this otherworldly force, and it's just kind of... Like a lot of things, it's maybe just left to be ambiguous. There's this thing in the in the library edition. There's this part where Mignola mentions. I don't, maybe he's talking about this one. I thought he was talking about the ghosts that lead Hellboy through, but he says they're not anybody. They're just spirits. There can be mysteries in hell or something like that, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. So maybe he's referring to this one. And so once we see the right hand of doom bound to this baby then um, it's all kind of black again. And we, just Hellboy standing there on his own. And he sees Astro's shadow. Welcome home, he says. Ugh. Yeah. So just what a way to end uh, an yeah. issue right here what was this, was seeing Hellboy's birth. And it's like, I couldn't, I couldn't believe that they cut off the baby's hand, too. Yeah. That's so crazy, because like, you think that maybe he was born with it, or I don't know what. But the fact that they actually, he was born with regular hands, they cut off one of them and put... And anyway, yeah. it's crazy to see this little baby hand, and the little baby with its hand cut off it's, is it's bizarre. Wild. It's wild. It's really, really crazy. So we, we pick up there, Hellboy's still in that space, but now it's all cold and dead. And he asks Astaroth, what happened here? Astaroth says that Hellboy's dad, Azale, called up great powers to put the hand on Hellboy. And he also says that he doesn't know how he got the hand. He kept that secret even from me. So now we get this piece of information. Astaroth is Hellboy's uncle. And it explains a whole yeah. lot about uh, why he's been so interested in Hellboy yeah. this whole time. And I guess before I knew about Azazel or anything, I was wondering if he might have been his father. But then, of course, no, that's not true. Right, yeah. Yeah, but I thought that was so interesting. It really is telling all the different times that he's come in and tried to whisper in Hellboy's ear and tell him all this shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. It kind of makes sense now. Especially in uh, Midnight Circus when he yes. intervenes with uh, yeah. Hellboy's dad. This is like typical political ambition through nepotism, right? Yeah. <laughs> He's like pulling strings to make sure his son is going to be more powerful than anybody else. Right, yeah. Hellboy says that he knows enough. He doesn't care. Odin traded his eye for wisdom. I'm not surprised you sold yours for less, Astaroth responds. Nice, Hellboy says. (laughs) (laughs) Astaroth says, when other princes learned of the hand, they evoked angels of destruction and sent them to put an end to it all. And so we get this amazing panel where we see, like, I guess that this is like the police on hell, right? Or something like that. They're like, Azeo's doing some fucked up shit. You got to send these uh, angels of destruction and they're these giant, like, serpents. Well, and they're coming down and shooting lightning into the castle. It, it I find it very interesting because, I mean, Azeo's essentially trying to engineer basically the apocalypse, you mm-hmm. know? And the other princes and dukes of hell stopped him. And it's like, 
why? Oh, right. Because you would you would think, but it's actually a political thing. And it's just like, yeah. yeah, did they stop him because they want to be the ones to start Apocalypse? Or do they stop him because they don't want Apocalypse to come because they're having too much fun being demons? Right. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Or it was always meant to happen naturally. Like, ah. the, the yeah. Beast of the Apocalypse was, was always going to happen. No one knew exactly how. Right. And he pushed it through on his own. Yeah. I love the little uh the little dig in here at Hellboy and then he's just like nice. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the so uh, the Angels of Destruction, the reveal that the Angels of Destruction are these like eel dragons shooting this lightning out of their mouth is just such a beautiful Yeah. fucking concept. I just love it. I love the execution of that. They shoot this lightning down and it blasts everybody inside. We see all the demons being thrown aside. But just a moment too late, Astaroth explains, Even as the walls came down around him, your father sent you away, though I cannot believe that it was his intention to send you to Earth. I think rather you were drawn there by the sorcerer Rasputin or by the ghosts of your mother's other children. It's definitely Rasputin. So let, let's talk about. So one, we see Azale's sword get broken. This okay, is where, yeah, I was yeah. about to. I was about to say that. Yeah, yeah. And then, so now I want to come back to the date, Matt, because this is happening in 1617. But then we know from our little brief recap in the beginning, Hellboy was born December 23rd in 1944. Right? Is that what you were going to talk mm-hmm. about? Yeah. And so I'm dying to read the alternate version where Hellboy existed all that time in hell instead of being transported into earth's future right right yeah that would be a great alternate but But yeah but but what is that time jump about too because he wasn't transported to earth 1617 right so remember in return of the master where they think they've located the soul of rasputin right that that's kind of what i think of like what do you say he transcended the cosmos and time it's so baffling because, yeah. like, they don't do you the favor of saying, okay, here's what happened, right? No, they, yeah. They, they never do that. They never but, do. Um, but why do they bother to say 1617? Yes. Why do, why do they bother? They could I, have just left it totally ambiguous or, or be, just not said anything. I think it ties up a different continuity line but creates a new a new mystery because I think it says 1617 because that was alluded to in the chain coffin when Sarah Hughes died. Oh, well, yeah, right. Okay, so, so that's why they so, have to so, it. So Azale pulled her down into hell, then we got, then immediately she was incinerated and Hellboy was born. But then when he was I born, never, yeah. I never picked up on that, 1617, until reading this. I never caught that. That's Okay, so that's a huge time jump though oh yeah yeah that's why i said it creates a different a different question because you're like what the hell happened between then and now so anyway i I always thought that was very interesting okay see now i have to i'm gonna have to go read that (laughs) drives me nuts i don't know if this means anything and it probably does okay so he came in through 1944 right yeah okay so 1944 minus 1670 is 337 if you add those three numbers up it's 13 Oh, okay. It's probably just an amazing coincidence. Numerology thing. I like that. (laughs) And we also get a nice recreation of Hellboy being born on Earth again by Mignola, which I like seeing. We've seen that panel done so many times by different artists. It's nice to see Mignola redo that part. We also see him, a nice little panel of Rasputin and of Hellboy's brother and sister that we saw in the chain coffin. Hellboy asks, what happened to him? Him? 
your father, we see the ghost behind Astroth is pointing over, and then we reveal that Azeo is in this giant block of ice or whatever. He's imprisoned alive forever for creating Hellboy. So cool. what, what so he's alive. Yeah, he's alive yeah. in there. And Hellboy says, I didn't want it. I sure as hell didn't ask for it. Does that make his sacrifice any less Astaroth ass? So I thought that was an interesting, like he's trying to guilt Hellboy into this, you know. Yeah, um, he's, and, he's tried so many different ways. And I also just like this reveal that Azale's just there. I thought it was kind of funny, you know, um, Jerry Turnbull on Mike Mignola's art on Facebook he posted Happy Father's Day on Father's Day, and he just posted this panel. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. Anyway. And Hellboy's like, why me? We've asked the same every day since you were born. Why you, with two sons already of more noble birth? And a sister, Astaroth says, do not forget her, though she declined to come. And Hellboy's like, what are you doing? What is this? Astaroth says, I'm tired of waiting for you, boy. You've always worn your humanity too close. You cling to it even now. It's true, he stinks of it, this one demon says, and Hellboy's like, hey, watch it, and this other one's like, it's true. I thought your own death might finally wash it away, Astaroth says, but no, so I'll leave you to the tender mercies of your brothers, and whoever takes that hand, he shall have it. And so they're both like, mine, or whatever, and so, yeah, now we learn that Hellboy's got two brothers. Well, so why Hellboy, though? Yeah. Is it because his mother was human? Because if they're of more noble birth, wouldn't that imply that they were born in hell from hell yeah whatever you're yeah. probably right yeah and to have someone what is it strike her name from the book or whatever yeah that's, that's yeah. like oh wow you got a human to turn her back on the light of day or whatever that's, exactly yeah. so that's probably yeah. what gives him that prestige or whatever yeah good detail there and maybe and, that's why he was allowed to take the right hand yeah I don't know. It just I'm still trying to put together like what strings were pulled exactly. Exactly, yeah. He called up great powers, that's all they say, but they don't explain it. Mm. And so Hellboy gets into this scene, he's gotta fight his brothers now. And we get right hand of Doom Boom number thirty five against his brother Lusk. And so Lusk is the skinnier of the two and Gammon is the other one. Hellboy booms him and he has to turn and fight the other one. And so this one he runs and he tackles at Hellboy. And he's like chopping him with this axe. And as they're fighting, we see this one panel of Azeo frozen there in that block. We get these quotes. My son, and upon his head all my hopes. My son, my favorite son. And so we've seen that favorite son panel reoccurred a couple times from the chain coffin. And so as Gammon tackles Hellboy, Astra says, No shame, nephew. Gammon was always the stronger. Or maybe he just wants it more. And maybe when he is king, he will remember you. He's and just stirring up shit. So Astaroth, yeah. this is all he does. Yeah, man. He just fucking fucks with people constantly. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> to think that the two brothers have been probably putting up with this shit for years. You know what I mean? More like yeah. centuries. <laughs> oh, by the way, I asked my mom for a deep, uh, Neil Diamond deep cut. And she said Brooklyn Rhodes. Okay. okay. Go. <laughs> oh, good one. Good one. Stands by my window and looks out on those Brooklyn roads. Brooklyn roads. 
So he's fucking with these guys, and it's yeah, work- and it's he's, working. He's basically. always trying to start mess somewhere, which I think is hilarious. And so, meanwhile, Gamma and he's just hacking away at Hellboy. And the art here is just awesome, you know, as they're falling through the air and all this kind of stuff. I mean, getting this reveal of Hellboy. This is Hellboy's family, you know what I mean? And they're yeah. just as dysfunctional as regular families. Right. I would say maybe even even more so than the average dysfunctional family. Right, this yeah. Is, this is intense. And so, yeah. this shit that Astros is saying, it actually works. And so, Lusk is like, no, I'll have it. So, now Hellboy's fighting both of them. And they're on this ice. It looks like they're on this frozen lake. Hellboy, thanks to you, the seat of power has never been so empty. Pandemonium is a tomb, Astaroth says. But whoever wears that hand, ape-like gammon or scheming lusk, he will go there to take your crown and your father's sword. Then wake that sleeping army. So the whole time while they're fighting, Astros is still monologuing about, you know, all this stuff. <laughs> That's probably like Hellboy's finally thinking the most annoying thing. He's like, will you just shut up, old man? <laughs> And that army is the only power there is to batter down the walls between worlds, hell, heaven, and earth. And whoever commands that power will be master of all. And we get this one beautiful panel. It's so cool. Yeah, I really like that. We've seen those kind of star shapes a lot in this, like, elsewhere. That's really nice. Hellboy's like, boring, and he clops Lusk (laughs) with the right hand of Doom uppercut. I really love that little uh, animation on that panel. What's in it for you, he asks Astaroth. Apparently to guide whoever's in charge. And so that totally makes sense, right? You know, Astaroth is just trying to, you know, get somebody to do it. You really are a pile of crap, Hellboy tells him. <laughs> that's that's actually the one thing I miss when we don't read stories with Hellboy is his fucking sense of humor. Right, yeah. They really are the best. And there's this moment where Astaroth says that it's better that Hellboy's dad died than to see how Hellboy is now. And Gammon comes in and he tries to tag on to that and he says, Their dad should have died for choosing Hellboy over him. When I'm king, I'll set him free and tell him to his face before I gut him. Astaroth interrupts and he says, Fool he might have been, but he was your father. And he fucking chops his head off. <laughs> and look, his wings got bigger, right? Yeah. yeah. And it He looks like he's becoming more demonic. Exactly. And I like how his snake turned into the sword. Oh yeah, I love so that detail. Cool. I like swords. It'd be kind of neat to have a sword that looked like that snake. Oh, yeah. That would be great. Yeah. So you're going to become a sword guy now. Oh, no. I've always wanted them, but I I have Then you'd be a sword guy, though. Yeah, I have two. Uh, What's the the threshold for sword guy? Is it three? I don't know. I think it's three. Probably probably (laughs) four. You're almost there. Lean into it. Well, money. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, honestly, I could buy a fake sword or a real sword and then what? Put it on the wall. Yeah, what are you going to have? It right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, or, oh, or I can buy dinner. <laughs> you can buy dinner, yeah. Yeah, you got to make your own. So when you make your own sword, then you're a sword guy. No, 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 no. At that point, you are a blacksmith, and that is a really awesome fucking oh, right. skill that takes right. years and years to attain. And at that point, it's super fucking cool because that's, that's be an like, actual like. I'd be like, I made this sword. <laughs> you're a form of sculptor at that point, and that's that's pretty sweet to be able to to make something that's actually, yeah. yeah. But I mean, just like buying and having swords <laughs> seems, yeah. I don't know about that. It is a yeah, cool then, design for a sword, though. Yeah. No, yeah, it's yeah. a super cool design for a movie or comic book for yeah. a guy to have that is serving a function in a story. It is fucking incredible. But yeah, to have a room full of swords 
as you or or I is a little different. Yeah, but I, I, I do think this is an interesting idea that all this other shit is fine, but don't talk shit about my brother. I want to know what is the story of Azale and Astaroth. You know what I mean? There's like, a comic right there's there. There's a comic right there. I want to know why Astroth would chop off his own nephew's head just for talking some shit. You know what I mean? You should show more respect. Chop your head <laughs> off. And so, yeah, like Matt said, Astroth is rearing up his wings, too. We've never seen him be physical. He's always just been like this lurking, you know, yeah. trying trying to manipulate Shadow. Jeez, Hellboy says, and Lusk looks on shocked. Uncle, what have you done? And Gammon calls out to Lusk. He's like, brother, it's just his decapitated head or whatever. I think that's kind of a sweet moment. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> Astros says, Lusk would have to do the same eventually. No, I wouldn't, Lusk says. Pluto, Persephone, fire in the bottomless pit. Didn't my brother have any sons, Astros says. I love this little, like, version of a curse. Like, that's what they, you know, instead of saying, like, Mother yeah. Mary and Joseph or whatever people say, he's like, oh, <laughs> he's like, Pluto, Persephone, fire in the bottomless pit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> like, that's what they say. That's their little, that's like, great. colloquialism or whatever. How do you say that? Yeah, colloquialism. Okay, yeah. I did say right. <laughs> he says, you cannot be this weak. Turn around, finish this. And Hellboy's just looking on and all this drama is going on. I, I like how all you have to do is introduce this powerful thing, the right hand of doom, and these guys just destroy themselves, you know, by just being a dysfunctional family. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And Astaroth tries his tricks again. He's telling Lust that it was always going to be him. He's stronger. Liar, Lusk says. It was you. It was always going to be. And then all of a sudden they hear this boom. And there's this one panel where they just are kind of shocked. And then what did you think of this awesome reveal here? It was just so awesome. I mean, it's like, what the fuck? Yeah. What is going on? I was was very pleased to see Leviathan make an appearance here. I was, how appropriate. It's perfect. And what a, what, a, what a way to liven this scene up, too, because you're like, how is it going to yeah. resolve? And then, yeah, incredible. I mean, it, it's just, I was not expecting this to happen, but it is so awesome, but also a little bit hilarious. It <laughs> the, really is. The inclusion of Leviathan is the perfect way to bring the story up, yeah. up a notch, but also the coloring. The yeah. Coloring. We get this nice hand-drawn sound effect, boom, as Leviathan pops out of the ground underneath the ice where they all were and he chomps up astaroth lusk and the headless body of gammon snap and as his mouth closes you see astaroth's wings snap off and fall to the ground and hub was just like holy crap didn't see that coming i don't think any i don't think any of us saw that coming yeah nobody did and i love this panel down this kind of like showing the enormity of this giant monster under this little hole where his head popped up you know you get to kind of see that sense of scale that we love so much in the bprd books okay so i don't know why so this just made me think about okay they were fighting on the ice right and so maybe all that commotion drew the leviathan to that area the same way the sandworms are drawn to vibrations in the desert of the deserts of arrakis and Hellboy was safe because he was just standing there. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. He wasn't yeah. doing anything. But 
I don't know. Well, Probably then, a stretch on that. Well, the, and then the you might have something to that in terms of finding them, but there was some intent, or at least we learned from this little devil that flies over. He says, that was Leviathan. There was some old grudge between him and Astaroth. Now it's settled. I guess so, Hellboy says. <laughs> <laughs> and so I love this scene. It's really interesting. Yeah, he says, Hellboy, do you remember me? And he's like, you guys all look the same. <laughs> <laughs> this is the best dialogue. Yeah, yeah it's it. good. He says, I was at the bridge when you fought a Lagos. And so we get one little panel as a flashback to Duncan Figredo's work on... Wild Hunt. On the Wild Hunt. Thank you for that, Matt. I, I, I get those confused. And yeah, we get this flashback panel from the Wild Hunt. And I just love that. I just love seeing that little flashback. It puts us right back into that story. We're like, oh yeah, I forgot that that happened. He says, I helped you there. And you promised to remember me when you came into your kingdom. And Hellboy's like, that's right. But now there is no kingdom, the demon says. No more princes, no generals, no dukes or lords. Just you guys, Hellboy says. The working class, I get it. It was their dream to escape this place, not ours, the little demon says. We want only pandemonium. We were slaves there. We did the work. Shouldn't we have the reward? And Hellboy says, grapes of wrath, baby. Just look out (laughs) for that guy in the basement. And so I do want to talk about this really quick. In Revelations, there's a passage that reads... And the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city and blood came out of the winepress, even unto the horses' bridles, by the space of a thousand and six hundred furloughs. The phrase also appears at the end of chapter five in Steinbeck's book, Grapes of Wrath, which describes the purposeful destruction of food to keep the price high. And in the eyes of the hungry, there is a growing wrath. In the souls of people, the grapes of wrath are filling and growing heavy, growing heavy for the vintage. The image evoked by this title serves as a crucial symbol in the development of both the plot and the novel's greater thematic concerns. From the terrible winepress of Dust Bowl oppression will come the terrible wrath, but also deliverance of workers through their cooperation. And so I thought that that kind of tied in with what Hellboy yeah. means here when he throws out that little comment. I just had to go down that rabbit hole because I was like, what does he mean by that little comment? You know? Well, I just thought he was like kind of like referencing Steinbeck. And so now I'm kind of curious. Do you think Hellboy actually read the book Grapes of Wrath or did he just watch one of the movies? Right. <laughs> I mean, neither would surprise me because like, you know, he was his uh, nanny got into read Pinocchio. Yeah. So maybe that sparked an interest. Or maybe he just really wanted, maybe he just watched the movie. Right, right. <laughs> this, this part where he says, look out for the guy in the basement, and the very next the very next panel is, haven't you heard? Someone went down there and cut his throat. Yeah. Is the creepiest. It's just like, what? That, and that panel, too. Yeah. I love the focus in on that little demon. It's horrifying. And as soon as he tells Hellboy that information, he's like, the what? And then the ice starts to crack. And I feel like it's not just... The ice cracking. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Hellboy mm-hmm. is starting to real- remember the thing. Or maybe he's starting to realize that he's not all there. It's per- His perception is cracking. It's yeah, a very exactly. inception kind of a thing. And, and we've seen stuff like this, like on the Wild Hunt, where he lost it and killed all those giants. You know what I mean? Yeah. And stuff like that. Yeah. And he didn't remember any of it. And so this, it, it's just like the ending of issue two was so crazy showing the reveal of Hellboy's birth. And then the ending of this issue just, God, it just really got me because I didn't see this coming, Matt. You know, you talked about that you had a sense of this already. Okay. I thought they were leaving it open to interpretation intentionally. 
And I was torn between that idea and the belief, my own personal belief, that he really did kill Satan. Right. So here, here's what goes through my mind before I write a letter. If I write this in and I'm wrong, I'm going to look dumb. Yeah. <laughs> but if I'm right, uh, if I'm right, then I just slam dunked it, right? Yes. Like I nailed it. And I was like, nah, I'm not going to write it. And then later, I think it was in the letter column or maybe an interview, Scott Alley said, and no one even caught the fact oh, that, that Hellboy killed Satan. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, uh, deduct a thousand geek points. Or yes. Whatever. <laughs> I just blew it. Oh, man, that's too good. Do you notice, though, how the spirit has eyes when it's handing the knife right here? Oh, yeah, you're right. And we couldn't see eyes when we saw it earlier. Yeah, it was like a face... Faceless, yeah, or eyeless catch face. There. Well, it had a it had a mouth. That's what I mean. I, I'm an eyeless face. Yeah. So we learned that Hellboy went down there, Satan alone and unguarded, and Satan wakes up and he's like, "Who's there?" I like how his word bubble has it's like this gold color or whatever. Yeah. And then we just see that knife clang, and so I love this also symbolism of bringing up this panel again because we did see that earlier. And like you said, Matt, at the time it was ambiguous. It's kind of left up to interpretation. What is that panel there for? And then here it kind of hits you over the head with like, you saw it happen. It, it happened and you didn't notice. Hellboy didn't notice. Look at, look at, so Hellboy going down the stairs with the knife. That's pretty creepy. Yeah. But then in the very next panel where he's silhouetted in the foreground. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Sneaking in there. It's like he's under hypnosis or something. So when they keep showing pandemonium and all the blood is coming out, pandemonium is a tomb. Is that Satan's blood flowing out of him? Because it looks like it leaves like a trail. Uh, anyway, just a thought that I had as I well, was reading this. Was, wasn't the blood pouring out before they went in down there? Oh yeah, yeah. May also be I, lava or some sort of lava blood combination. I know exactly what it is. Oh okay. Is it spoilery though? It's spoilery. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not gonna say. Okay. We'll get to it. And so we cut out, we see all these tortured statues that are all over. We see all the little demons flying over that one statue with the crown. And Hellboy, as he's realizing it, he's just like, oh my god. What's done is done, the little guy says. And you see, you're not important anymore. Now you're nothing. Nothing. Nothing at all. And as we kind of pan out, Hellboy's on a smaller and smaller part of the ice. As the ice cracked, it's all melting now and spreading apart. We can see those creatures coming from under the ice They're all those giant floating through yeah it's like a floaty and we just get this pullback and like we can see that hellboy's just on the smallest little piece of ice as we get this huge pullback and then he's just like son of a and then we just fade to black <laughs> and i love that because like we we don't have to see him fall in the water we but we just know through the pacing that that happened oh he's Back in the abyss. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That sucks. Ugh. That's interesting, too, because how did he get back there? Okay, so he was in the house he was born in yeah. where it was like present day. And then it was a flashback. And then he was on this lake of ice. Yeah, right? that's where the spirit, the next one took him. That's where yeah, his I guess, dad was. Yeah. I guess hell is madness. There's right. No, <laughs> there's no reason to it. But I, I do think the abyss is the worst place in hell. Right. Sure. Chapter four, we pick up in the abyss and we see Hellboy drifting there. And this is not an unusual thing for Hellboy. We've seen him adrift after the events of the third wish. And elsewhere, 
we see like this mirror, right? And then we see this hand and it's writing all the symbols. And so we've kind of already seen Ed Gray do some of this stuff. But this one's like orange. You know, it's a little different as he's kind of like. And then we see this skull at the bottom. And so last week when we read The Amazing Screw on Head and other curious objects, there was a skull that looked very similar to this, but it had a light bulb in the eye. Ah. But it looked, it's almost the exact same. I would say that I'm going to put them next to each other, but I think it's the exact same one. I like when he's drawing okay. this thing. Yeah. And so he does with this symbol on the mirror, it's somehow able to pull Hellboy out of the abyss and through the mirror, and Hellboy comes tumbling out. Oh, it's you, Hellboy says. Guess you saved my ass again. Gray says he won't be able to do it a third time. I'm not sure I'm all that crazy about you doing it this time, Hellboy responds. Don't say that, Gray says. Self-pity doesn't suit you. I really like that line because it doesn't. We don't see Hellboy ever be like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's just like, what a life. But he's never like, poor me, I'm sad. You know yeah. what I mean? I do. I just like that little piece of dialogue. Gray mentions that Elegos is trapped, hopefully forever. And as they're talking, Hellboy notices this painting behind them. He says he's seen it before. Death Riding an Elephant, Gray says, by Walter Heap. Not a famous painting. And this is just a classic Mignola image, right? Death on top of this elephant. I really (laughs) love that. They need to make that a print. They need to make that one of the Art of Mike Mignola prints that you can go buy so that way we can actually have this in our homes. You know, wouldn't you want that, Matt? Wouldn't you want to have this painting in your home? (laughs) Yeah, I, uh, I redrew it one time for an Instagram post. Nice. nice i'd love to yeah, see. oh love yeah it. yeah you did draw that I, I do remember that one yeah my favorite thing about that image is like the reason i wanted to draw it was because it would be out of context yeah <laughs> oh, nice. and i think it's even cooler that way you know people are like what the hell is that yeah yeah because it it's kind of weird here you know yeah it's super good though i like it hellboy says he remembers the painting from his first trip to london an old pub in Whitechapel where a guy named Edward Gray and his pals used to hang out. The place burned down and Hellboy assumed the painting went with it. Gray says it was a gift to the Silver Lantern Club, but he always liked it and he confirms that he is Sir Edward. So we've been calling him that this whole time, but Hellboy did not know. You're right, exactly. Geez, I always heard you were a good guy, Ed. How'd you end up here, Hellboy asks. It's not always fair how things happen. You know that better than most, Gray responds. Tell you the truth, Hellboy says. I don't know what I know anymore. I thought I was doing okay there for a while, but now... I understand, Gray says. And he lights this candle. So and cool. And I love that how he uses the little the sigil, little sigil to, yeah. to light it. That is so interesting. And then the candle's like floating there. Just so cool. There's so many awesome little Just things. Just file that away <laughs> under the massive heap of stuff I wish I'd come up with. It's so good. And also, I just want to point out all the cool stuff behind Gray in his little place. You know, there's like yeah. carvings on the wall. You can see that there's books and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. It's really well done. And so Gray says that he knows everything that Hellboy's done. They have this moment where, you know, he's like, everything... And Gray says, you know, you went down under the vaults to uh, Pandemonium and to his chamber. And Hellboy's like, I don't remember doing it. And we get even more uh, flashbacks to that. As Satan is dying, he says, murder. You don't want to remember. You don't have to, Gray says. It only matters that it is done. Let me tell you something, Gray says. A very wise woman told me once, people are like houses. The more experiences you have, the more memories 
the more rooms in your house. Some of those rooms are worth revisiting. Others, better left locked, boarded up, and bricked over. And Hellboy's like, simple as that? It can be, Grace says. You'd make a hell of a shrink, Ed. (laughs) (laughs) Love that. And so Hellboy asks, what happened to Edward? And as Gray's talking again, we get more of this awesome imagery behind him. We get this skeleton that's kind of holding this snake. And all these little candles are floating around Gray. It's just really cool. I want to be in that room. You know what I mean? I want to be... I want to see this scene where they're just in yeah. hell in his room talking about stuff. With the floating candles. And stuff. Gray explains that he was a private detective watching the Heliopic Brotherhood. I trust you've heard of them, he says. Grade A lunatics, Hellboy says. Dangerous lunatics, Gray responds. And he says that he caused the Brotherhood to flee London and most of the members fled Europe. He'd heard rumors of them and their experiments, but he was always a few steps behind until chicago march 3rd 1916 hmm that seems somewhat familiar right yeah what's uh, what's what's familiar about chicago that building yeah. yeah so the building where howards and his team came across the yeah the warrior spirit infused sword exactly yeah. uh the nars sword right here uh, before he went into that whole explanation like when hellboy asked edward gray who jack the ripper was and oh uh, yeah edward gray's like i am not at liberty to discuss the details of my service to her yeah how great is that (laughs) and he's like queen and country right to the end (laughs) yeah that is really cool i mean that that was such a nice beat right there yeah it really says a lot about gray's character we saw a lot of that in in the service of angels it's such a british thing (laughs) to preserve that even through all he's been through is is excellent yeah yeah and it the zoom in on his eyes where he's like, I'm serious about this. Yes. <laughs> right? Pretty cool. Thank you for catching but that then, moment, Aubrey. Then look. Okay. So that building is where the BPRD is currently. That's where we left them. Mm-hmm. Right. Those agents. Yeah. But then look at Gray as an old man. He is so cool looking. Oh, right? yeah. He's right? all like the grizzled old man Gray. Yeah. I love that. He's like, got like the beard I, and everything. I can't wait till they start writing those those years of his life into the comics. It's oh just yeah, so good. And so we get a nice flashback too to the Heliopic Brotherhood. And so yeah, we see Gray confronting the Heliopic Brotherhood, and he looks so awesome. Like Matt mentioned, they had conjured up Amduzius. Amduzius is a great Duke of Hell. He appeared at first like a unicorn, but at the request of the Exorcist, he stood before them in human shape causing trumpets and all manner of musical instruments to be heard. That's an interesting power or whatever. (laughs) Also, he can (laughs) cause trees to bend and incline according to the exorcist's will, and he governed 29 legions of spirits. He doesn't really look like a unicorn here. He kind of looks more like like maybe like a horse or one of those dragons, kind of like we saw in the Iron Prometheus. This is an awesome scene, and I love the Heliopic Brotherhood guys in their... um, with the suits and those prods and all that. Yeah, yeah, this is really some scary shit. I know Ed just popped out both his guns and he's all like... Yeah. It's kind of like this is the Ed Gray from that Abe Sapien story, right? The drowning. Right. Yeah, it's kind of like that version. So, People can't that see is, you doing that. That's my favorite. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> 
So the gunshots. Okay, remember when we were reading? Ah, what was the name of the, the Abyss of Time story arc? Yes, when we were reading that, there were bullet holes in the wall. Yes, scratch marks on the floor. This is the traumatic event that left a psychic impression on that room. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, those. Uh, it says those machines were destroyed, and we saw those machines, and they had bullet holes in them in the Abyss of yeah, Time. It's, it's just so crazy that this is. Hellboy in Hell is so abstract, but it's a massive information dump, right? Yeah. It's giving you a lot of vital information and some, you know, lore, right? It's contributing to the ongoing lore, but it's also tying into the present day yes. comics. So this is what I mean when I say what you have here is a creator who is telling the story exactly right, but in the exact way he wants to tell it, no matter no matter what yeah. he doesn't care he doesn't care if people even get it this is how he wants to show and depict these events and anyway i just think it's so impressive that amongst all this abstractness you can go oh no that's from yes the abyss of time or still, whatever the so. easter eggs are still in there to be found yeah yeah and when gray destroyed the machines amduzius was sucked back down into the pit but not alone and we get this awesome panel as he's pulling gray down into hell with him yeah so, that was really impactful for me and i thought this was a strange parallel to nimue pulling uh, hellboy down i was about to say the same thing yeah, yeah. right it's very That's cool the lesson don't fight demons when they're being sucked back into hell because they'll drag you with them yes <laughs> and we get this awesome scene as amduzius is cursing gray it's also really cool because we you now kind of know how gray ended up where he is now right because we've been reading those stories and it's just like okay how did he go from this to that exactly and just seeing this it's like oh well that's really fucked up (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think these first four issues although you find out a lot about hellboy's family and and history this is edward gray's story it's really good oh yeah yeah he's showcased amduzia's curse gray to live forever and then tore him to pieces and left him to fall on the rocks along the banks of the Acheron. Sad Acheron of sorrow, black and deep. And they, these little one-eyed guys, right? These little creatures come out, and they stitched Gray back up as best they could. All this art is amazing. We see this so kind interesting. of... Uh, we see this kind of, like, anatomical view or whatever. We see them stitching him up. And Gray reveals his form. He tells Hellboy not to feel sorry for him. So he's all like uh, just this skinny old like zombie thing, right? Yeah. Mary Wolf. Yeah. Grace says not to feel sorry for him. There was a girl years ago who warned me not to pursue the Heliopic Brotherhood. That it would lead to my ruin. And for a while, I believed that she was proven right. Yeah, so this is a reference to Mary from Witchfinder in the Service of Angels. And so when I went back to look at Witchfinder, I was looking at it yesterday and I noticed in her room... She had all these picture frames and they all had flowers in them. And that reminded me of the Magician and the Snake when we read last week. He had picture frames with a bunch of flowers in them also. Anyway. That's cool. But, well, these look like lilies though, right? Yeah, I think that these are are lilies. But it was kind of that same motif of all the the frames Mm -hmm. anyway. I noticed this like... And Gray's like, but since then I've seen amazing things, and I've... I think it's interesting we talked about his room and how he had all his art in there and stuff like that. It's like he's having a fulfilling life in hell. It sounds like he's made the best of the situation. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
well, which I think is just really interesting. It's kind of a little oasis, though, here. Yeah. Which is interesting. When did he learn magic that way? It must have been in hell. Right. Like, after all this, right? Sure, yeah. you're absolutely right. Well, he's been there for quite a while. I mean, what else are you going to do? I mean, when we first see him, he's already with the Baba Yaga and Dagda. and So he's like in the royalty of this like fairy world other people or at least he's allowed in those circles so yeah i'd love to see those adventures and they know so much like go back to that conversation at the very beginning between baba yaga and him how do they know all this stuff they're like oh there's still three things he has to do or something yeah yeah it's like jesus man you guys know everything so it sounds like Gray is, it, it's not all doom and gloom for him, despite being in hell and being in this form. Being cursed to live forever and torn apart and sewn back together. Yeah. <laughs> be like, well, got sewn back together. Let's get to learning. <laughs> Silver lining. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and Hellboy asks about Gray's place. Because this place is so freaking cool. I'd ask about it, too. I'd be like, what is yeah. this awesome house? What is this yeah. bachelor pad that you've made for yourself? It's amazing. <laughs> Have y'all been tracking the candles too? Because like, yeah, they have this. Uh, at first, they have this warm, kind of bright yellow, and this like uh, the glass has like an orange tint to it, and then they go out completely, ah. and it's just smoke. And then now it, they are just this deep, deep blood red. Thank you for pointing that out. Yeah. That is so awesome. Very creepy. It's very I deliberate. Love too. it so much. Yes. Yeah. And not to get too sidetracked, but that's one of the things I just love. And you mentioned this earlier, Matt. Like, they'll, they'll never tell you anything. It just happens. And you just right. have to observe it and go, this is what I think that means. Or, you know what I mean? That's what I love about all of this. Putting these connections together with Abyss of Time. Like, you have to be work. It's it's a little bit of work. You have to be paying attention. Well, we've talked about this in the past, too, about how um, stuff like this serves as almost the score of the comic yeah you know yeah. I mean? mm-hmm. moments little little things like this are kind of like pr- serving to provide a mood when gray's telling hellboy about his place he mentions angus weir who sold his soul but tried to cheat his masters they had sent some demons to get his house in scotland and transport it to hell i like that idea too They're like we're gonna go and get your house from scotland and bring it to hell Right? I mean, that's like a pretty cool thing to yeah. do. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you betray us? We're gonna take your house now, motherfucker. <laughs> And Weir didn't survive, but with his dying breath, renounced his evil works and inscribed protective symbols on the walls. It keeps any creatures of hell from entering. Gray says he's seen it work many times. What does that say about me? Hellboy asks. Nothing new. You were never a simple creature of hell, Gray says. Just a dead version of that, Hellboy says. Or maybe nothing at all. But I just really love this character moment between them. Gray's like, you know, this is nothing new. You you were never just a simple demon. It's hard, I know, Gray says. You've lost the people that care about you. Lost a whole world. But you might consider this, for the first time, you are truly free. Hellboy says that he's still carrying the right hand of doom around. I think that you'll find there is no one left who wants it, Gray says. And over these last few pages, it's like starting to fade to yeah. black. You know what I mean? Which, I, think I mean, the... before we fade on out of here, I, I, I know I've said this, but I'd like to reiterate just how much I love the idea that there's this little oasis in hell that is only held there by these sigils. Yeah. By like a weird kind of series of events. This happened. Yes. And it's just a very neat. And so, like, yeah, so it's starting to fade out. And then on the on the next page, you know, something else is fading in. Yeah. You know, these, these kind of this ivy or these leaves. 
and then like you you're going through this archway into this these other buildings and stuff and something about it's just so peaceful and calming and beautiful it is the colors are yeah it's It's just very comforting it's perfect it is comforting yeah and as we make this transition gray tells him hellboy you've lost one world but gained another a chance to begin anew how rare a thing is that and hellboy exits out into this cityscape that's that uh, optimism uh, we were just talking about on Ed Gray's part. Yeah, for real. <laughs> You're like, you know, look at me. I got torn to pieces. You don't see me, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Back at Gray's awesome bachelor pad, he talks to the painting of Angus Weir that we saw earlier, and it accuses Gray of lying to Hellboy. Uh, look at the candles now. Oh, now they're all spilled to the ground, right? Yeah. yeah. Gray says he didn't lie. Not about the hand. With Astaroth gone, none of the others that survive have that kind of ambition. But that he's free, Weir asks. Gray says he knows Hellboy still has things to do. Three more at least. But Gray will take care of the first one. Weir doesn't think it's smart, and that Gray will be damned for it. I've been told as much, Gray responds. As for Hellboy and those other things that need doing, I hope they may be a long way off yet. But having the courage to do what you believe you need to do and doing what you believe is right in the face of everyone letting you know that, okay, well, you're going to face like eternal damage. Yeah. Like it's very like, well, I don't, I don't care because I don't think that that's right anyway. So fuck you. Well, that's a good point because he was already told that by Mary and he did what he wanted to do anyway. And now he's in this life and he's like, you know what? This isn't so bad. Yeah. So I am going to do those things even though I'll be damned for it. Well, and it's, 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 he takes it so nonchalantly. I love that. It's, yeah. it's also like, well, I don't even know if it, it's nonchalant because it's he takes it as, yeah, I understand that these are the rules that have been set forth. Right. But I think that they're wrong. So I'm going to continue doing what I think is right. And if that means that I am judged according to some fucked up and evil set of rules then I'll happily be judged right. because I know that I'm right and those rules are evil and that I'm doing what I believe I should do. Yeah. And so, but to do that is so scary and it takes so much courage. And I think like we talked before, the themes of the story are like to be brave in, in the face of that is something that is. Well, think back to what one of the spirits was saying about the soul and it's a, uh... It's up to you how you're going to live your life. It's up to you how you're going to spend your time, right? And it's never been up to Hellboy. Mm. And so for him to just chill out, so to speak, even though he may be in hell, right? or for him to not do something is a pretty bold move. Yeah. Because he's, const- he's always been trying to prove, no, I'm the good guy. I'm the hero. I'm not the beast of the apocalypse. I'm not giving into that. And he has put in the work. And at this point, hey, man, nobody cares about the Beast of the Apocalypse for the moment. Right. (laughs) So you don't have to keep fighting against it. Yeah, it's nice. But it's like a brave thing to do because, I mean, are you sure? Yeah, right. To put that level of trust, too. Yeah. And Gray tells the painting of Weir that he's talking to, till then, let him have his time. Let him at least feel free for a while. And we get this pan out of Hellboy. He's just in the city. We see, like, all these... Are these other dead people? And we see this thing dripping. And again, Matt, you mentioned Lethe throughout this, yeah. right? So, so here, I it, think it's like a source of life for them. Right. That's a pump with water from the river. Yeah, I don't know. It might just be like a full circle. Yeah. Thing. 
And we just pan out. We see Hellboy in this city. We see those kind of spirit doves again flying through the air. It's very beautiful. Or they might be gulls. We haven't really settled on Oh, them. yeah. <laughs> and um, just all very beautiful as we go out and into the city. Hellboy is red again. Oh, yeah. And he just says, okay, as he lights a cigarette, yeah. which I love. <laughs> okay, I was going to point out, he still has smokes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I and guess then, it'd be easy to get in hell. I, get, I, like, I, I still maintain that this is a projection of of uh, a dreamscape right yeah. Uh, yeah 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 because who who are those people right it's so weird and we see this... somebody like looking out the window at him yeah are these people supposed to be other people that are living in hell or are they dead and those are just their bodies as they died or i, don't, I have no idea yeah why aren't they fish anyway <laughs> maybe so they maybe they weren't misspent lives right but yeah, the ongoing themes of doing what you know to be right, even in the face of ultimate punishment by some other entity or agent, is really interesting how how that thread is maintained throughout this whole thing. Yeah. I really am fascinated by that. And here we are. There you go. Yeah, we end on this one dead woman. I guess they are alive because this one says, God rest ye merry gentlemen, good night. And this is um, from A Christmas Carol it is also known as Tidings of Comfort and Joy. It is one of the oldest extant carols dated to the 16th century or earlier. And it is also referred to in Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, which ties with the puppet theater that we saw earlier. On this very last page, we get this biography of Walter Edmund Heap. I want to go ahead and read this. We see him in front of that painting, Death Rides an Elephant, and it says... Heap never achieved any real success as a painter. He is better remembered as the author of The Incredible Adventures of a Small Mechanical Head and its sequels, The Mechanical Head Returns and The Mechanical Head Returns Again. In 1911, while traveling in India, he was injured in a railway accident and shortly thereafter eaten by a tiger. Do you think this is Mignola <laughs> trying to take shots at himself? <laughs> I was going to say, I thought it was kind of like him saying that uh, this guy kind of wrote a version of Screw on Head. Yeah, so that's yeah. the Screw on Head connection. So in our feedback, Jerry Turnbull, he said, Screw on Head exists in the Hellboy universe in book form, written by Walter Edmund Heap, painter of Death Riding an Elephant. So... The Amazing Screw on Head, the reason why I guess you could say that it, it says stuff about the Vril is that it's a comic book or it's a it's a cartoon or whatever within the Hellboy universe. Also, how unfortunate to be in a railway accident and then <laughs> eaten by a tiger. I mean, that's some, the world is not your friend, my friend. <laughs> I, I saw this as Screw on Head was probably real, but more just like an urban legend or a myth. And this guy... He oh. wrote like dime novels about it, and oh. anyway, that's that's reading into it again. But I think it's cool. <laughs> I think like... it's cool that they say, "Well, he was a painter, but never achieved success." Like, why bring it up? <laughs> so, it's like dime novels, kind of like the way they used to write about like Billy the Kid and in New York back yeah. in the day. Okay, I like that. That's pretty fun. So, yeah, I mentioned in the library edition, there are more pages to the sketchbook. They were really cool. Thank you for pointing those out to me. Yeah, there are a couple little things here. Mignola says that he had a diagram on how Ed Great is taken apart. So that was interesting, you know, for that continuity. Designing the crudely assembled Ed Gray was a lot of fun. I'd originally intended to show him off more, but as is often the case with me, I decided that less was more, and mostly he worked better as a mysterious cloaked figure. 
there was also a cool sketch of a Legos. He was not like if he didn't have the helmet, it's just kind of like a skull, flaming skull head in there. So yeah. that was one of the designs, and it looks really cool. But it kind of looks like the black flame also. I wonder yeah. if that's maybe why they didn't do that. And so Mignola says um, about Pandemonium on the sketch there, I seem to remember doing this drawing for Duncan Fagreta so he could use it as reference. But now I can't remember him ever drawing it. He does draw it in The Wild Hunt, because I was looking at it yesterday. Had I really thought about having to draw the place myself, I might have come up with something a whole lot simpler. <laughs> Fortunately, once you get inside, the place is all shadows and smoke. Fire and giant statues. And we get a bunch of great pages of just statues. Mignola says, obviously a lot more statues than I would ever need, but once I started drawing these, it was hard to stop. Oh, um, it says, across the rooftops, Hellboy's guide was originally going to be a little girl. But again, I opted for a cloaked mysterious figure. The truth is, I have no idea who the guide is. Some people have mistaken him for Grey. He's not. He's a mystery. It's hell. There should be some mysteries. So, I don't accept that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I absolutely do, and I think it's amazing and perfect and true. But there makes so there's like a logical connection, Lethe. No, I, I feel I, I feel like maybe he forgot he did something intentional, right. and then the sketchbook just said, "I don't know why I did that." Oh well, some things don't make sense in hell. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to I want to press him on it. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, but so awesome! I'm so glad to have started Hellboy in Hell. And um, what did you guys think of being in this Mignola world, Mignola I think it's crew? Fucked up that we're not revisiting this immediately and <laughs> reading the rest of it next week. Oh, well, how? I so you're like not going to read ahead? How can you not read ahead? Because that's one thing I've always wondered, but I don't think they ever have. Yeah, I don't I, think. that's impressive. I, I I've read ahead. The other day I was reading Hell on Earth number four, and I was looking at that, and I was like, man, I'm so far ahead of where we're supposed to be. But there's some good shit that I wanted to revisit. I trust the reading order, but I'm mad about it. Yeah. <laughs> so one thing I did when I finished the reread of mm -hmm. these four issues was, for the very first time, I referenced. BPRD, The Devil You Know, number 15, which was the last issue. And I had to read something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Years and years later, right? Okay. Seven years later? Yeah. Something? So, anyway, um, well, I, we always say, oh, now I got to go read this. Yeah. I got to fill in the blanks <laughs> here. Rarely do I read uh, past a story. I always seem to go backward. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. That is so interesting. And, and I haven't read number 15 since the last time I read it, whenever that was, but I just referenced it. Oh, uh, well, text so, me later. Text me later and and uh, okay. and, le and let me know. <laughs> uh, I'm interested other... to know what you, were what you were thinking. Okay, and the other thing here is when she says, God rest ye, merry gentlemen, good night. At the bottom, he signed it, and the date is 12-31-2012. Oh, nice, yeah. So he was literally finishing this on new year's eve yeah I think that's cool um because people question why hellboy in hell number one didn't come out in like october right that year or something and it was they said that sounds like it would be a perfect halloween issue right hellboy in hell but there's this whole christmas theme and there I think really because, is yeah and i think it's because he was working on all that stuff like at the time 
even that scene where they're all fighting over who's going to get the right hand before Leviathan comes out, it's snowing, you know, yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, I love that. Awesome. No, I was just going to say, I mean, yeah, I, I, there's part of me that wants to read further, but then I don't because I feel like, you know, the way we're going, I'm just enjoying this kind of story. And then plus, I also felt the same way you felt about not going to further in Hellboy in Hell. But when we finished the last BPRD story, I'm like, wait, what? We're not going back to yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have to know. Plus so, I, But now I, I'll read this. I have to know. Yeah, there's, there's a part of me that's like... Uh, I like coming at it from the angle of I've never read any of this and I'm able to talk about it for the first time. Yeah. You know, kind of a thing. Cause okay. What if there's someone who's going to listen to this years from now and yeah. they're like, ah, I didn't read that. And then they're, I'm, I'm like them. I'm making that same journey. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm, I want to read the rest of this immediately. Oh yeah. I mean, it, it's hard. Not to, it's yeah. hard to stop. Yeah. Okay. And, and there you go. And there you go. Great. Yeah. So, so exciting to, to get to hellboy in hell we'll be back with another awesome episode next week thanks so much for joining us again matt thanks matt trackvine thanks matt oh thank you i, Book I love club this. member <laughs> yeah a good time awesome and now aubrey's gonna say all the things all right everybody share us your thoughts on hellboy in hell one through four you can send us a hey you damn guys at hellboybookclub at gmail.com Follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. You can also find the Discord link on our Facebook page along with the reading order. Also, be sure to check out our friends at Mignolaverse.com for all the wonderful stuff they do over there. And always thank you to Paul from Gardaharn for the theme. Awesome. You're getting good at this, Aubrey. Uh, thank you. <laughs> you can find the podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast from. Next week, we're going back to the BPRD, Hell on Earth, and reading Wasteland and A Cold Day in Hell. So, you know what to do. Back issues, omnis, trades, libraries. Steal your friend's copy, but be really cool about it. And then uh, join us next week on the Hellboy Book Club podcast. Thanks a lot for joining us, everybody. I'm John Salinas. And I'm Danielle. And I'm Matt Trackbine. And I'm Aubrey Lovelace saying, I thought for sure we'd be invisible. <laughs> <laughs> that is the best line. It really, <laughs> <is>. <laughs> really awesome.